Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. This week we have Jorge Mesa of the Third Eye Edify Podcast on YouTube. Jorge, I've listened to over the last couple of years on Chance Garten's Interverse, and I've been so impressed. We've struck up a friendship because I admittedly do not have that much knowledge when it comes to music or musical theory. I know listening to certain music opens my heart chakra. I, I do have enough awareness to understand how I'm affected by it, but I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the physics of music. Because when you hear about intervals and timing and waveforms, where things are recorded, the scales, all these things, it sounds uh, very similar to physics to me. And so I've read a few books on sympathetic vibratory physics, and that resonates with me because it dovetails with my training in polarity therapy as a massage therapist. It all kind of works itself together. So Jorge Mesa, he joins us. We had a great, we had a great interview. <laughs> you, uh, I jump around, you know, I'm tangential, and, but we, we covered a lot of ground for, for the real musical theory nerds. You're, you're going to get annoyed with, with some of my commentary, but Overall, for us novices with music theory in general, I think this is an important podcast to listen to. Um, you really get to see that this this creation that we're in, this plane of existence, the plane of inertia that we're inhabiting was thought and then spoke, which is just another way of saying vibrated into existence. Or as you'll see, maybe it was oscillated into existence. So enjoy the podcast and I'll see you on the flip side. Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. Tonight we're on with George Mesa of the Third Eye Edify Podcast. How are you doing, George? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, I see we're both in the bedroom decors right now. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm in my little spare room. You're in your, in on a vacation in Florida. Yep, yep. You caught me off guard, but it's perfect timing. It's always perfect timing, no matter what. Yes, I, I had another I had another interview scheduled. And it was kind of cool because um, I was going to interview Tanya Harris, the woman I was telling you about with the with the uh, resonant structures. We're we're working on a proposal to build resonant structures as an art installation, and that fell through. And I'm like, well, who better to talk to about resonance than than my man George? I love it. I love it. Thank you. So let's give um, the audience a little background with with your musical background and the reason like why this is so important to both of us, this whole notion of resonance. Good, good. That's, that's, that's the best place to start because it's like any trade that you, you know, I, I didn't necessarily fall into it. I kind of knew I was going to be a musician. I felt it. You know, I was always playing air guitar, so to speak. I never really played an instrument when I was young. And I didn't actually have a teacher. I just started playing. I suddenly started gigging. And then before I knew it, I was, you know, taking it real serious. I went to college for a little bit for it. I got a, you know, music degree, whatever that means. Doesn't never really did anything for me. I was always gigging. I've always been teaching um, since the 90s. So I've, I've definitely had the teaching as my, you know, my, my, my real passion is there. The stage is always going to be a passion. But the nature of the business kind of 
just it just takes it away. It takes you away from it. You know, mm-hmm. it really does. It takes you spiritually away from it. When you're teaching and you're providing for someone and you see results or you get to interact with the family, you get, you know, these lifelong relationships that feels so much more rewarding overall that I knew that was really going to be the focus no matter what. And um, as a result of all this, you know, college training and, you know, playing for, you know, just decades of nonstop playing, you, you get stuck in it. You get stuck with what you learned. And again, it's like any other trade. Suddenly you're just doing it because it's the way it works. Mm-hmm. And then a few, you know, decades later, I'm starting to see all of the things unraveling around us as, as I know you are in many of the, I'm sure all of your viewers and all of the nature of the kinds of shows that, that are like this. And then you suddenly see, okay, I assume that music is, is part of this too, this construct. Mm-hmm. I assume that it is. And then I realize, okay, I'm working with these, these equal subdivisions of the notes. When I get harmony from these chords, everything has been predetermined in a very rigid system. And it doesn't even follow the natural um, harmonic series that is provided by nature, which is something that I'm sure we'll be talking about some Keeley stuff with the mm-hmm. dinosphere um, at, at your request, which I'm so glad I looked at because my, my juices are really starting to flow now, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> even more away from where I had come from with it. And thankfully, because I was supposed to just be another monkey on the wheel, you know, doing my thing and, and pushing it with other people. And now, thankfully, I can, I've, I've been, I've had the gift and the, the chance to look from the outside looking in again, even though I'm on the inside. And now I can make all these relationships through theory and other things. Now the theory stuff is dense if you don't know it, but the numbers sort of work out between all the different fields of these things, sympathetic vibrations, mm-hmm. resonance, the harmony in general. And um, so I, I think we can really make some great relationships today with the Keeley stuff and um, what I know music is supposed to do versus how we're trained to use it with the equal temperament system that we have. And we'll, we'll we can touch on that if you need to, you know, flesh that out for the audience, definitely. Oh, no problem. please, you need to flesh it out for me. <laughs> <laughs> like e- equal temperament. Like, so just so you know, I'm a novice. You know, I, I've, right. I've, I've prefaced you on my lack of knowledge <laughs> and you don't cool, know cool. what you don't know, right? So yeah. uh, I, I've always loved listening to music and that's about the extent of my knowledge. I've been right. exposed to physics terms Uh, like constructive interference, uh, uh, destructive interference. Uh, You know, I understand certain things from vibrational perspective, but how that actually translates to music, I'm like, (laughs) I I really need you to take the lead on that because for me, this is like, even like my wife sings, she doesn't play an instrument. And so, but she's a natural at it. So she doesn't really have the capability to like teach it because she just knows everything by ear. And so (laughs) those are, I always found like the athletes that were just naturals, they weren't all that good of coaches. They're like, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good point, actually. That is a very good point. (laughs) You know, I'm glad you mentioned the singing because I was just having some pretty deep thoughts about the, the structure of cathedrals and things of that nature being actually aligned to waveforms and things of like that, where clearly when you hear something sung in an appropriately developed location like that, mm-hmm. which is just like what you're saying with Tanya Harris, where she's taking the space and making the resonant frequencies, mm-hmm. um, a single singer can have a humongous impact on the, the overall vibe of the room, literally the vibe, mm-hmm. vibration of the room, right? And yeah. I was thinking about how, you know, choruses, and humongous orchestras as the orchestras got bigger and bigger and bigger in the past four or 500 years, 
um, it, you, it's a cacophony. It really is. There's almost no chance for everything to breathe and all the individual things that are happening. Um, they don't get as noticed. It's the reason why there's, you know, as many coaches on the field in football as there is, you know, no one coach can see everything happening at once. And it's the same exact thing. Yeah, you, I can pick out the oboe, I'll pick out the trombone, but you can't really hear it all. And maybe some of the beauty is lost. If you're hearing a trombone versus a singer sing, it's going to impact you different, differently. You know, mm -hmm. the, the notes coming from a human being, not perfectly in tune and, and coming from whatever emotional state they're in, you're going to literally resonate with it. And when the chamber they're singing in is created for resonance, it's a, it's a whole different ballgame, you know? So hopefully this can help us kind of dive into all the topics we're getting into, but this is, this is, this is getting somewhere pretty interesting already, man. So you have to explain Pavarotti to me because <laughs> I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a picture. Okay, okay. I was in my early twenties. I was like EDM guy. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting into yoga and massage and I'm like starting to chill out. I'm starting to listen to like some more synth music and stuff like that. And my, one of my yoga teachers, he's like, he's like, what do you listen to? And I tell him, he's like, you, you got to stop listening to that. <laughs> and, and I'm like, why? And he started to describe like what bass does to the body, how it drops energy into the lower chakras and things like that. And I was like kind of bored because I didn't know good. I didn't ever hear any, like I heard, I knew I liked soundtracks in movies. Like I knew like right. listening to like Braveheart or the Thin Red Line, like these incredible soundtracks had so much more meaning to me than the movie itself. Right. right. The, right. So the soundtrack would move me. But I didn't know, I, I had no knowledge of like what was excellent music. So he's like, he gave me, he's like, go on to Apple Music. I think back then, I forget what it was called back then. And he's like, you download Pavarotti's 10 bests. Right. Listen to Nessim Dorma. So right. I'm like, oh my God, this is so gay. Like, <laughs> dude, the first time I heard Pavarotti, he hits this note and he hits the note with so much force, like it was power. And then he like elevates it an octave and it, uh, my heart just went boom. Like my heart literally exploded. Cause I was like, what is going on here? Like, how can a human hit that? Like he was. I mean, was there anybody ever even like that you heard that was even close to Pavarotti's power? I don't think the the vocal strength has really had that much of a match. You know, they, the, the pop guys never get to do it. And the ones that still, they kind of teeter on the classical jazz brink, they don't, they don't end up getting the chance. If they can, I've never heard it. It's really pretty powerful. And the other thing that maybe the mystery of why it sounds the way it does might be twofold, musically speaking, right? First of all is, the style of vibrato that he uses because he's not just what, singing. What was that term? The style of vibrato. Vibrato. That's the... The wobble of the... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That can really have a major impact on how you take it in and perceive it also. Musically, you know, your brain takes it and it audiates it at the same time. It kind of interprets it a certain way. And um, kind of like the way if somebody says three minus two, if you do do it in your head, even if you know the answer right away, it mm -hmm. still hits you you still work it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the, the his vibrato style with the force really has a, a huge effect on the way that it, it hits you, you know, with the force that you're saying. 
because it's already forceful. And then the vibrato is very, it's a little wider than some. The other part of it, it the part of making it twofold is that, and it comes back to what we were saying earlier, which is perfect. I'm so glad you mentioned this. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's really singing in this equal temperament thing, which is a very damaging way to approach music. It's a very damaging way to really present it. And it's really the only thing you get to hear on the, on the radio nowadays, that's for sure. So I really think it's, it's, it's a big factor. The other, here's the final factor too. He ends up resurrecting songs that have never been recorded. And we don't really know what the first thing, we don't really know what the first one sounded like. Mm. If it's before, let's just say 1900 to make a, you know, an obvious clear cut number. So <laughs> the, the orchestration, in other words, how many instruments are there and what types of instruments really radically changes about every hundred years. There's a cycle, there's a new era. It's called the common practice era. Just picture Baroque, classical, romantic era. And then we hit the 20th century, right? Mm-hmm. So through those eras, the, the idea of an orchestra changed. The idea of how you, how you manipulate the notes and how you use them to make harmony changes. Mm-hmm. So even if he's interpreting it as best as possible, he's putting his own flair on it because there's no previous, you know, we don't have a record. We just have the written note. And that's, that's so, it's, the term I think is flaccid. These, the way you write music, it's pretty inadequate to deliver the Pavarotti. It doesn't matter what's on the page. Mm-hmm. If, if Pavarotti's singing it, he's not like taking the paper and he's making it his own. You know what I mean? Somebody else takes the same piece of paper. It's not going to sound the same. Right. And they often tell students, I hear the ink. I can hear the ink. You got to get off the paper now. Yeah. You know? Because I listened to the other four, t- the other three of the four tenors. No. No, no, it's no, <laughs> no. It's the same thing. Like with any, I listen to any other reggae other than Marley. I'm like, no, sorry. Unfortunately, you're so, right. It sorry, is... the heart, the heart is there with Marley. All, all the rest of that stuff, eh, it's all, it's all just noise. <laughs> That's a very good point, man. Yeah, That's a very good point. So maybe we should quickly discuss equal temperament and perhaps the idea yeah. of the overtone series. That 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 is the way we hear every single type of pitch, no matter what the pitch is. And maybe we can also quickly throw into this how we're naming notes. We're saying this is A, this is G. It's almost, it's almost diminishing. It's almost reductionist. Even though we're giving it a label and, and a, ne- a necessary way to, to talk about it between people, I can go to you know Asia and discuss this music right now with someone that doesn't speak my language. This right. is a good thing, of course. We, want, we do want that. But you're almost taking away from the idea of it and you're, you're rigidly placing G to always be this frequency. That's crazy talk. And when Pavarotti's singing a G, it's probably different almost every other time. Mm-hmm. And the main reason, and thankfully this will again relate to equal temperament. And I'm not trying to rant, believe it or not, for your audience that doesn't know me. I'm, I'm really, this actually all connects. And I think it's really going to beautifully emerge when we start to discuss the Keeley stuff too, is that let's just say he's singing a G, right? Mm-hmm. What is this G now in relation to harmonically what is the interval between that g and whatever else is happening in the orchestra g for a certain chord has a very different character than it does in in another chord if you're doing and don't worry if you don't know theory guys you just you can go with the flow of the conversation it'll make sense i think if you play a g major chord now g is what's called the root of that chord the name of the chord is g that g is a very different g than if you play a G in an E flat major chord, that that G doesn't act the same. It doesn't have the same, it doesn't bounce the same off the other notes. So that's the other part of it. With equal temperament, it is always the same G. 
Mm. And it's a bastardization of, the, of what music is naturally supposed to be. And thankfully, Keeley totally mentions this. And he says that nature has this immutable law that you can't break. And that's the shortest and easiest way to find the things that he's talking about. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to say it without saying it. That like, you know, what, what music is doing is not really giving me any information for what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. The way that we use it, the way we manipulate it, the way we're trained to manipulate it. And it's probably due to things like the Rockefeller system of teaching, whatever, whatever flavor of the week you want to blame for this. I, I'm not, you know, not trying to gung-ho against anybody at this point. But can I, um, can I tell you yeah. a, a very interesting thing? I worked Absolutely. when I worked for a company like a very very high end restaurant company across the United States. They only had six, they only had six restaurants, right? And they had they had the most like out of the training of everything I've done, whether it was football, soccer, tennis, uh, construction. Yeah, this was the most rigorous training I ever went through in my life to work work for this place because like back in the 90s if you were working there you were making four or five hundred dollars a night so they had their pick of the litter (laughs) and so their their training process was so crazy guess what they said the number one thing the number one attribute of why they had returned customers wow consistency consistency to me, I'm not that guy. Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't think I could do anything the same twice. Like, <laughs> right, right, it's kind right, of funny because right. I was a field goal kicker. That's probably why I didn't make it all the way because I wasn't that consistent. <laughs> but like the whole thing is like people, that's a, a regimented thing. Like you're saying, say that, what's that term again about music today? They do the same interval. Oh, equal temperament? Equal temperament. Right. So does that mean the note has to equal the, the, the same pitch? Like what does equal temperament actually mean? It means it's consistently. What... It, well, it, let's just, the piano is the easiest way to picture it. The distance between one piano key and the very next adjacent piano key is exactly the same proportion, the same numerical proportion. That's just not the, the way nature works though. No, it's impossible. It would never happen. It was, it's not, you know, it doesn't work. And, then we'll, now you know we'll, we'll discuss the overtone series and show quickly that whether you understand the music theory or not that nature already gives us it shows it already shows it to us you know mm-hmm. and and we just decide to go against it because we want to be able to you know easily play in tune amongst other people and um that's that's no fun at all and Pavarotti you know it, it, usually what happens is you get between one through ten best Pavarotti's mm-hmm. you're going to get that specific performance that everyone loves the most you know he might it might sound different and it, it doesn't mean he had a bad day either it just might sound different at the Met than yeah. the you know the Berliner Philharmonic in Germany. It's it's going to sound different because the shape of the building you're in while you're recording is going to make all the difference. Sure, and and some buildings it really does matter where you sit, no matter how hard they work on the numbers. Yeah. So yeah. there's always going to be that too, you know. And um the, and what if the timpani player is you know overhitting for a minute? You know, you it's just you never know. You just mm-hmm. never know. Different chef shows up, the same dish might not be the same. You know. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Your foot will never step in the same part of the river twice. <laughs> Perfectly said. Perfectly said. So uh, maybe we should quickly discuss the equal temperate and overtone series a little more, just so we can have a really good platform to just exemplify how important it is and how mm-hmm. obvious it is, too. Because like all the things that we're dismantling, people like me and you and all the other people doing great work out here, we're dismantling things that have technically already been dismantled, but we're now 
we're able to have a medium like this where we can bring it to lots of people. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, you're a freaking legend, man. So I am I'm pretty honored <laughs> to be here. And it's a big deal for me. You know, that's why I'm, I don't care about my appearance. I'm doing this. This is great. Too. I mean, it. thank you. You know, because um, you're working on so many things that will have a humongous impact on humanity. And I can't even possibly understate that. It's just a big deal. No expletives needed. Mm. But um, maybe these kinds of things can help work because he mentions the water and stuff like that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Keely. So, OK. But having said all that, the, the overtone series, very simply put, means this. If you take any frequency, which means any pitch, forget about A or B flat, whatever, any frequency. There's plenty more than the 12 ones that were given for music, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and they prescribe them in a certain place, too. And we'll get to that in a second. When you let's just say you pluck a string on a guitar or a bass, whatever. Right. You pluck A. As soon as you do that you create an orbit. The string has an orbit. It's not necessarily an up and down thing. If mm-hmm. you pluck a certain way, you will get that shape. And yet your timbre changes, the way that sounds changes. But it's typically supposed to be plucked where you get an orbit. And the orbit is much bigger in the center than mm-hmm. it is in the outsides. Of right. course, it's much tighter where it's being held fast. And it's what's called this resonating body. It's resonating distance, right? And within that, depending on the ratio, you get an octave, OCT meaning eight, as in, uh, you know, let's just think do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. We get eight when we do a musical octave. Mm-hmm. So once we get to do again, we've hit that same frequency, but it's one octave higher. As you were saying earlier, your Pravarati hit the octave and it, you know, it exploded. So after that first octave, the overtone series keeps going to a point where we can't even hear it. And it runs through basically every single pitch that we would use, musically speaking. We use 12 notes but they don't fit right. They're not sitting in the exact spots that they are when you play the note on the instrument. If I play that A and there's a C sharp somewhere, again, don't worry if you're not a theory person at all. If I play that C sharp on the instrument and I use the overtone series to find that C sharp instead, it's a different C sharp. It's not in the same place. Harmonically, it changes everything. And people like Pavarotti are trained to actually sing in between the cracks of the equal temperament system. So they can really find that perfect, beautiful thing. And so I think he might be one of the one of the guys that really does know how to do it, whether he realized it or not. Mm-hmm. He may not have been told that this is why, but he was told this is how. You know, you don't sing to the piano. If you keep mm-hmm. singing to a piano and a guitar, well, I guess you're just going to end up sounding like any other rock band or blues band. And there's nothing wrong with that because I've done tons of that stuff. And, I, and I, there's plenty of good musicians, but it is very rigid. It has a lot of um, restrictions. And we're fighting, like you said, it doesn't exist in nature that way, mm-hmm. you know? So what we get in music, the way we use it in our Western system, definitely not the Eastern system at all. And I'm sure we'll have time to talk about that with sympathetic vibrations and things of that nature, because we don't take advantage of that in the Western system at all. And going through lots of rigorous college, speaking of rigorous, it was pretty rigorous. Not even a mention of the Eastern stuff. Not even a tiny little mention. Um, there was a Jewish music history class, which I took, and we didn't get into the real the big the facets of the music but we discussed things and we got into the you know how it's very different but we didn't we didn't get to talk about the eastern ideas you know the ideals so with the western system you get 12 notes and again each one is exactly the same distance from the next which would never happen in nature and the natural harmonic overtone series that we get for any frequency you want to choose would never fit that very neat and perfect little thing 
Mm-hmm. It, it's of course it would be that way. Of course they would hand this to us, you know. So and, and yeah, go ahead. Just 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 because my mind's on it, I'm sorry to break your flow. We'll get right back. No, to no, it. it's fine. It's fine. There's a few like in the movie Hero. Do you remember that movie? Hero with Jet, with the, um, Jet Li. Yeah, yeah, the feudal is like feudal Japan, maybe. Or yeah, something. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ch- China. There's a scene yeah. where there's this gentleman. He's playing this device. It's right. a, a corded device. Do you remember that scene? Yeah, I think and, I do. Maybe it was a zither where they were about to fight in the rain or something. Yeah, they right? they were fighting in yeah. the rain, and they gave the old man a, a coin to yeah, play music, and then they changed. They just kept the, rolling. I remember. They, they changed the music, and then he did the whole thing. When you're saying that the Western system, you have all these equal links between the notes. What caught my ear in that, and then also listening to lots of sitar music in India, mm-hmm. like there was this similarity in this, there wasn't an evenness. There was a symmetry, but there was an unevenness. Am I, am I thinking of this correctly? Am I? Am... I, believe, I believe that you definitely are. Okay. And there, absolutely, you know, you're and this is a big this is a great point to make you're not coming from this place of you know extreme rigorous music theory training no but your soul is giving you the very very clear and obvious answer that nature is giving you just by hearing a part of a movie yeah you know and they weren't intending on you having this you know this ideal breakthrough of what what it means and it, it still happens well, because when the notes hit you, you you receive it you know the beauty of that movie i think it won like a ton of awards because <laughs> the the timing of the fight scene when the when the musician shifted the, yeah. the 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 way he was the like you were saying the distance between the notes their whole fighting style changed the the movie was so beautiful and the rain even changed the raindrops ah uh, and and then they changed the color they went from black and white to color yeah they they thought about what they were going to do first right in black and white and then they started fighting it, I exactly what is that, 22 years ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was right maybe around more, 2000. It was incredible. Been, yeah. And wow. so that's what caught me was like, okay, I'm hearing the way this, this is obviously an instrument that I'm not used to. Right. There's that. But the way the music was being played in that was so different. The only thing I had ever come close to that was hearing Ravi Shankar in, yeah. in concert. I went to go see him in concert in Palm oh, Beach nice. and dude, he was doing some things that like, we were all just like, what is going on here? He just right. started, he started, well, to, to me, cause I'm untrained. It sounded like he started to riff. <laughs> it's right. like, right. like he, yeah. like, like he just got in it. He was just going so fast. Like, I was just like, what's happening. But it was a very similar thing that I don't ever hear in Western music. And I'm thinking it's right. this, it's this, this even spacing that you're, or the uneven spacing that mm. you're talking about. I think it has something to do with it. I do. And I also think it has something to do with the, the nature of how they actually approach it, where with us, it's like, okay, four minutes, next track. And with them, it's like, okay, 35 minutes, we'll build this. And then finally, we'll do something to really hit them in like another 40 minutes from now. You know, they're looking at the long-term goal of doing this humongous long-term thing where you're so entranced by it. You're so in that. It, it's a it's a ritual. They take It's a freaking ritual, you know? It's so are you saying song. Eastern Thought is just like a big fish concert? <laughs> yeah, it, it's much. just jam band the entire time? 
<laughs> definitely, definitely. You know, it's funny that they they may have captured some of the essence of it uh-huh. through like the the crowd like the crowd mentality of it, but it still is. You know, it's still using that equal temperament. Unfortunately, uh, it's true. That's why it's I true. find it so boring. Ooh. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny how it can it can get it can wear down on the the listener if you're if you're in that mindset. You know, but that's the that's why. And I was, uh, you know, maybe I'm in a past life. I was a humongous Godzilla buff and. Maybe I'm looking at I am a Godzilla like buff. My wife right. thinks I'm crazy. I'm like, Godzilla. <laughs> well, you know, I've been I've been paying close attention to that series since I was a little tiny kid. And they've they've hit all the talking points. I'm probably gonna do a little hit piece on them. I'm gonna, you know, I'm not looking to ruin anything. I think that's a great series, but you know, outer space, all this other stuff. It's all over the movies. Anyway. So, <laughs> but my point is that a movie like the very first Godzilla, which is a very serious movie and should not be taken lightly, and I think everyone should actually watch it. It's pretty amazing. Um, you know, the original one, obviously, in Japanese. It doesn't have the pacing of a Western movie at all. It's still 90 minutes about, you know, but it, people are like, well, this is boring. And I'm like, you don't see the the big picture. You know, they're they're working towards something. They have a message and they're, they're working into it. You know, they're getting to the big stuff. They're going to, it's going to be more emotional if you stick with it. And and this is how ragas work in mm. in Indian music and a lot of other Eastern things, particularly Southeast and and you know like Mid South um, Asia, of course the Oriental stuff. Um, it, and the other part of that too is yes, he's not using equal temperament, no way, no no chance. But he, also picture this. I think your listeners will get a lot from this now. When you have a guitar, you actually you know you slam the frets into the wood and they're not moving. But this guy may have actually, when the things, when the pace changed, he might have actually moved his, what are, we call them frets for the moment. The strings are sitting on these axis points and you can move them. They're not, they're not stuck. You, you put them where you need to put them. Mm-hmm. You can go with the mood of the day. You don't have to put them in the same spot every time. There's no line on there that tells you go here. Mm-hmm. They, they find it. And, and they often remove notes from a scale. They don't play. We usually get seven notes and then we hit the octave. They often do something more along the lines of pentatonic which is a five or maybe they just won't use the entire scale so intervallically and this may relate to the fighting too intervallically we go by steps with them they might skip a step sometimes in their the scale that they use because the scale is the identity and very often their melody is not repeated they don't write it down it's not like that mm-hmm. you, you don't get the star spangled banner every time you get, oh, oh, that's the Star Spangled Banner, but it's a totally different version and not the way they do it nowadays, you know, free, free game of the sports, but you get to have your own version of it. You know, you pass it along, you pass it along. If somebody changes it a little bit, the melody can then shift. The rhythm is actually what stays put of the melody. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just, it's just such a different thing. It's a different world. You know, dude, it really is. Dude, I lied. You know who actually opened my heart the first time hearing her sing? Tell me. Whitney Houston, Whoa. 1986. She did the, um, she did the, what is it? The stars, the, the Star Spangled Banner in the beginning. What for, for WrestleMania? What was it? No, she did it for the world. Uh, what was it? It was the baseball championship. I, yeah. I, I, whatever they call that, the pennant. Right. Yeah. yeah. She, dude, she sung it and was so much like love. When she, she nailed it and she knew she nailed it. And that's actually the first time I had heard somebody sing and my heart just exploded. And then the next time was, was Pavarotti. I'm sorry. So Whitney in her heyday, oh, she, no, she, she yeah. could, hit, she could hit some notes. 
oh, oh, yeah, you know, and that's just the beauty of it. It's a lot of times they, they'll have the backup music with them, and then it kind of puts it in this place. But most music didn't have any of that for many, many, how many, or thousands or whatever, even more years. And I bet she was singing to All By Herself. I bet she, she was. She was All By Herself, and you knew all it. All By Herself, yeah. She wasn't, like, you didn't hear the background music at all. She she was just taking it, taking it, taking it, and then she <laughs> took it the entire way. And when she hit it, she hit it. And it was like a bomb went off. It was awesome. That's cool. That's cool. And that's one of those things where the entire crowd definitely knows the song. Yes. It's like if you see an opera in Italy, everyone knows it better than you. And they're all crying before it even starts, you know, mm -hmm. it's the same exact thing there. So that's another element to it that adds spiritually you know, or, or with resonance, resonance. Yeah. It's resonance, you know, and, and also now, you know, one thing we should mention too, that we're talking about Ravi Shankar, especially is that, those instruments, the sitars, do have frets, mm -hmm. but they they look like this. Where like the guitar frets are just like this. You put your finger on the string, it it just that's it. But with this, when the string is sitting on this thing, you can actually push the string down a lot, and you can you can kind of do crazy vibrato stuff. You can also find the notes in between the cracks. So he was you've heard plenty of that that day. You heard him playing at in and out of the equal temperament, but then. The instrument has 13 strings. They're not all playable. They have sympathetic strings underneath. So could when you, you start Could you playing, define sympathetic strings? Sure. The, the easiest way to think about it is that there, it's a set of strings that are relatively speaking tuned a certain way and you don't play them. But when you pluck the actual played strings, they send off a, a, what you can think of it as a resonant frequency mm -hmm. um, where the glass shatters because you hit that exact pitch. When you pluck a certain string, they all start to sparkle and make their own little dance. You always hear it when you hear a sitar. Mm -hmm. You hear this other, it sounds like a keyboard kind of sound in, behind it. And That's what the, that is. Yes. Ah. So those resonant frequent. But, but this is the, the, here's the interesting thing about this, right? Is that, and this, this was, in Europe, it was kind of there. There was a lot of French instruments that were doing this. French versions of the guitar were kind of, because the sitar is a predecessor for the guitar, definitely. And, um, most music in, in the West wasn't, but France, I know, had this. And it's something called modal, which is another word that comes up in the Keeley stuff, too. Yes. Where um, the idea musically of modal is that you stick to one tonal center and you can't necessarily leave it with the instrument you have. It actually makes it very rigid, but it forces you to be really incredible at what you're doing because now to have variety enough to be a special, you know, unique musician, you have to really know how to get in between the cracks and really let those sympathetic strings go and dance mm -hmm. around what you're doing. You can't leave the key. If your sympathetic strings are tuned to a certain thing, you really can't go to some weird off note that doesn't resonate with them. It, you, the instrument doesn't work that way. You have to now play in certain places that use the resonances that are, that are made for that instrument. Mm -hmm. And the tabla that they hit, the two, the two drums, that also is tuned to certain pitches that they use, mm -hmm. certain frequencies. So it is a rigid thing, too, at the same time, in a very different way. So would you just say the overall complexity of the Eastern music with the with these, I'm sorry if I forget the name of the terminology, with these uneven intervals relative right. to the Western, the complexity has to be much greater. The Here's what's, com, com, the complexity comes in, um, it's very easy to sound like crap and it takes, a very, you know, most of these people that play these kinds of instruments that require such a, you just have to be literally in tune. Um, they don't touch the instrument for five years sometimes. 
they just they verbally say the things and they sing too. They sing the way you're supposed to sound. And a lot of times you get these really super duper heavy vibratos then, but that's them preparing themselves to finally grab the instrument and make it happen. So they already know everything they're ever going to do before they even freaking touch it. And I'm talking about years of this, you know? So mm. it's, it is more of a, it's more of a, a lifelong journey. I wouldn't necessarily say it's complex. It's actually less complex than heavy, heady classical music from 1700s, 1800s. It's less of a challenge to interpret and analyze it and teach it to somebody. But that doesn't make it better at all, you know? It just makes it more dense and potentially um, maybe it's dense on purpose to kind of oversaturate and just kind of get us away from the beauty of one singer or one instrument doing something. Because we, you just told me a singer is what really hits you, not a fucking... I don't mean to curse. I'm sorry, but like not a not a not a rock band or whatever. And made that may have happened too, but a single singer did it. it yeah, it's, it's I have. That. Yeah, if I have a short interval to listen to something, it's definitely it, the way my the way my body works is is through a voice. If mm -hmm. I have a if I have a buildup though, I have to say some classical music buildups, like because it's just it's charging the circuit. You know, it's priming. Oh, yeah. It's priming the pump, so when the crescendo hits, right. it's like, whoa! Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, you know, there's a path that the notes take. Certain harmonies work with each other, and that's that may be a different conversation to have, but there, there's a reason that it gets to that point. They all do it. They all do it the same way. They use the same places of the scale to do it, to find the same harmonies. But in this equal temperament thing, you don't get that. It's not perfect, and it could be even better. It could, it could actually be even better, <laughs> which is crazy, you know? I mean, in the end of the day, it's it's, it's something, man. Well, so have wow. you played with that, with unequal temperament, with music that's written for equal temperament? You can, but, you know, if you, I mean, like, play along with it, it might be a little weird, you know, because it's uh -huh. hard to, you can't fight what's there. You have to tune yourself to it, so to speak. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, you don't know, have a, a few fretless basses, and they don't have the frets, and now I can go in between the cracks. Mm -hmm. But, um it's so tough it's so tough you know a lot of times it's not two people doing it and this is exactly why once you add more people you have to kind of change the system that you're working in so it really does have to be one person a lot and most of the you know the readings of the bible the torah these are these are sung you know and people in the they would go in the square and sing these verses they had it memorized mm -hmm. every every character in the torah is a, is a musical phrase and that's that's um that's got to mean something. That's got to mean something to anyone hearing that, you know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it wasn't even, it's not even meant to be read. It's meant to be sung by one right. person. These, yeah. You know, I yeah. got, I got to tell you some of the most powerful things I've ever written as invocations, they came out poetically, which is music. Uh, yes, it is. And it's just, it happened naturally. It wasn't any forethought. It right. was just like, ah, oh, I gotta, I'm writing a poem, which, you know, is so close to music, like the, like the way the rhythm of it works and the way it's read and in the emotional energy that's behind it. It's totally different. Than, Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I had a minute there where I thought I was just going to be a poet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we are, we are in one way, right? Yeah. yeah. We all are. We all yeah. are. Thank God I found Rumi, man. Rumi, like <laughs> reading Rumi, like, you know, you say this whole thing about the the original um, Hebrew alphabet right. and how it's meant to be sung in this, the spirituality in that. And 
I know that the the core of the Tao was a poem, and I'm right. pretty sure that was sung. You know, so. and then then you had the the Middle Eastern. Um, you had the oh, what religion was Rumi? I'm forgetting. Do you remember? No, no, I don't actually. Yeah, you saying an S? I, I am picturing an S actually at the beginning. Yeah, it's some, I, I keep wanting to say Sidha, but it's not that. It's like not Sikh. I'll remember it no. in a second. But like. What? in reading Rumi, the poet, like there's these deep spiritual truths in all of these, these traditions and they were being sung. Right. It's all part of the ritual. I think that I, it has to be that way. I think that's the bhakti. I think that's what opens the heart. You know, the, the, you know, the, I, for so long, I knew so many Christians that were only going to church so they could go sing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I've played a few gospel churches in Harlem and stuff. And the people, you know, they were never on time, but they'd show up late and they'd have tambourines and walk out oh, yeah. the door shaking a tambourine. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. And then they had some soul food afterwards, and that was amazing too. Yeah. And um, but that's and that's a there's nothing wrong with any of it, you know. It's all coming from the right place, and that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like, Well, you, you did a country gig. I'm like, those guys were heartfelt, it was fun. I didn't care if I liked the music or not. They they put their all into it, and it was it was good, it was mm -hmm. really good. I they really had a, a great mojo, let's just call it that for, you know, for the sake of simplicity. And that's all that matters. It's got to come from the heart, mm -hmm. whether it's dead simple or not, you know. That's awesome. So I want to get into the actual notion of res resonance, constructive, sure. constructive interference and destructive interference. Right. So I, I built a temple a couple of years ago where we the invocation ceremony for the start of the construction yeah we had this person that was really good with crystal bowls and she filled the this i mean it was big it was like at least 18 inches across is like one of the larger yeah. crystal bowls who knows how much that cost it was probably like a thousand thousand dollar crystal bowl at least and so she filled it up about a third of the way with water from the river that we were right next right. to. And, we, you know, we did a whole ceremony, like, you know, giving homage to the, to the four directions and asking for all the, <laughs> all the help that we could get. Right. And um, so she started to sing and she's going around the crystal bowl and I'm watching this cymatic pattern in the water with the different notes that the that the bowl is is creating right and then there's a there's a point where all of us like a deep silence occurred like for me and i think it happened for other people there was like 20 people there yeah and i guess it was my heart it was that g the the yeah that's the note g i don't know i once again, I'm, I'm a nerd. Yeah, well, like, that's totally... what they say this, you know? That's yeah, what they say this. I, whatever I it was, my heart opened. And I noticed uh, dealing with certain machines, like we're, we're going to get into Keeley and stuff like that. Right. You can feel whether or not the machine is resonating. Like I, I will only buy V-twin motorcycles or quads because there's something with the V vibration oh, that when I'm on it, that feels really good to my body I see. if i'm in an inline engine 
no matter how well it performs, that vibration of the inline engine, no good. My body does right. not, my body doesn't like it. So wow. like Kawasaki's and Ducati's and those types of things feel really good to me because they always have the V. So she's doing this resonance, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm using the term resonance, you correct me if I'm wrong, because we all felt it, we, I kind of like looked around, everybody's like feeling it. And then what occurred to that cymatic pattern yeah. in the water, it was like if somebody just threw a pebble like right in the middle of it, it just created concentric rings. Right. Wow. So it went from all these like, you know, overlapping, like what I would call uh, destructive interference, even though it sounded good. Right. 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 So it looked like chaos. It looked like El Mar, you know, as, as Chance right. would say, it's the, it's the ocean. It's, it's the, right. the abyss. And it's doing all this dancing. It looks kind of cool, but it's chaotic. And then it hits the G. Let's just call it the G. And then we get this concentric circle. And it just was that you could see this, whatever the cymatic pattern was in the water, it was just staying there. And she just, she was in the zone. She was just hitting that and it stayed there. And it was like, whoa. And wow, that was the yeah. first time I saw a cymatic pattern in a water that I knew about. Right. And I was just like, I think I just witnessed resonance. I felt it. And then the actual vibration in the water was such. Right, right. I think so too. I think that you did see a resonant frequency. Yeah. Because resonance is an extremely violent reaction to something. And um, like when the bridge was doing the wobble, and I think a lot of your fans have probably seen this image. Mm-hmm. It, there was a certain pitch coming through down through the, the valley, and it was the resonant frequency of that freaking bridge, and it was wobbling like a wave. It was a wavelength, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's it'll it'll move mountains. It'll do anything. So you probably you saw that chaos at first. Mm-hmm. That might have been resonance. Now, the question is consonance, dissonance, or as Keely's calling it, concordance or discordance. Right? I think that. Perhaps he's thinking of the same thing. I, I can't say. I haven't studied all of his stuff enough to know if it's exactly the same idea. Because he uses some musical terms, and then I don't know if they mean what they mean in music. They don't seem to. So there's, there's overlap in terminology that actually is a different concept for him. But yes, I do think you saw resonance. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost definitely. And th- yeah, go ahead. Because I, I think I Let me idea. just interject for I, I haven't told I haven't told the audience who John Morel Keeley was sure good idea so john warrell Achille was an inventor in the 19th century that had come up with a bunch of different inventions that used vibration in a way that no, none of his peers really knew about if they did know about it we have no documentation of it right and what made it amazing was that he had what people in the space would call antiquitech <laughs> right that right. was extremely <laughs> valuable in the in in the in the sense that he had a um he had this one machine where he could bore holes he could essentially create a dissonant would it be a resonant or a dissonant pattern I assume it's dissonance in that scenario. Yeah. It depends, you know, because resonance does is violent too, but dissonance does a lot of work. So I, yeah. I maybe we, as we talk, we'll figure it out. So he created, uh, let's just for, just for lack of a better term, he would create a dissonant, a pattern dissonance. 
where right. he could actually, if you could imagine shining an old school flashlight on something, wherever that light is hitting, that would create a dissonant pattern and essentially cause molecular disassociation. Right. And this was in the 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I, I was pretty surprised at when this happened. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And then he, then one of his dinospheres, he had the capacity where once he tuned it and did you, have you seen his spherical musical scales? Yes. It's crazy. Mind blowing. I, I know. I know. It's unreal. Yeah. So he could tune this dinosphere to do multiple things. It could, it could produce electricity. It could heal people that was around it. It 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 could actually it it could when I say heal, like it could correct people's auditory dysfunctions, their their visual dysfunctions. It wow. it, it cured a whole bunch of different things, and it, this this is a technology that has never been replicated. There's a there's a scientist um, named Dale Pond who has done incredible work on Keeley. He's rebuilt, I think, four, I think he's the last interview of his I saw with Dr. Moshe Daniel. He had rebuilt, I believe, six dinospheres. Wow. And he's had to use psychics to, to like give him into, intuitive hits of like how to do certain things. And Keeley was really like he he created like he wasn't just into the the vibration of things he was a material scientist he knew the relationship between platinum gold and silver right. he knew their relation to the connection in in their their uh heavenly right the wandering stars yeah yeah, yeah their, their 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 stellar and wandering star influence he also, I think, and I want to talk to Mario Garza about this. I think he actually knew the secret of the pole star. I think that I, was because the this is a cosmological podcast. <laughs> no matter what, <laughs> no matter what, I always have to I have to bring it to cosmology because that's sure, my, yeah. that's like my my baby. So imagine we're on this plane right. and. At least biblically speaking, you know, in, like the majority of religions, we have this flat plane and then we have this hemisphere over us. Right. Whether we're just on a little portion of it and then like there's a greater plane, who knows? But the, 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 the oldest cosmologies say that we're essentially in a terrarium that is dome shaped. Right. <laughs> right. I'd say all say it. Almost every single one. Yeah. And within the dome, there's the lower heavens, and outside of the oh. dome are the higher heavens. So whether you're you go back in the Hindu cosmology, whether you go back like in Christian mysticism, they all say the same thing. So Keeley talked about how timing and this is why i love the guy so much because yeah. <laughs> i i'm in a i'm into i call it celestic profile like other people call it <laughs> astrology but essentially we have these influences that are above us right influences are essentially just telling us timing is everything you have right. you have auspicious times to do things and you have inauspicious times and as a musician i mean fuck it's all timing, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, 
what he was doing was is like not only did he know the materials like down to like their spiritual essence of what he was putting in his machines but he also knew when they would actually be able to do certain things I see. So like we were saying earlier in the show like the hallmark of the western mind is consistency Right, right, I'm right. In, I'm internally so chaotic that the only thing in my external world that keeps me safe is consistency. <laughs> right. Utter crap. Hell These yeah. guys are the opposite. They were like, okay, everything doesn't happen on a consistent basis. We right. actually have to be aware of the greater surroundings to know when something should happen. Just because we can right. do it doesn't mean we should do it. That's been a huge lesson in my life. <laughs> I see. I see very clearly. <laughs> yeah. So, so with that, these machines, there was this, there was this spiritual component imbued into the creation of these machines, because these machines weren't just there, as like you know, just this serves this function. Sure, the machine sure. itself is a reflection. It's just like when I build a building, it's a reflection of my consciousness. It isn't my consciousness, but it's a reflection of it. It's going to show where I'm at as a being, right? So right. his inventions were such that they were so subtly tuned with just the right materials that he was able to have these extraordinary effects on his environment. And he had no peers. He was during the time of, he was during the time of Tesla. He was during the time of Shawburger. All these cats were like, man, this guy's got it going. Yeah, like, go look at him. Yeah, don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. No, you're right. It, those correspondences too. It's to have that on your side as well. Yeah. That always ups the game. Every time somebody says, you know, and then I added the correspondences and suddenly my everything changed for me, you know. Um, it's it's crazy. Like you with the bamboo, the way you way you harvest your bamboo, same thing, right? I know I produced that in the past. Yeah. Maybe it was on Crow, I don't remember a few years ago. And um, well, we just did it here. I was teaching the guys here. So it was the last quarter nice. phase, last right. quarter phase of the moon. The water is the lowest in the ground. And I can actually tell because my artesian spring, the water is gushing out. Right. And so I'm like, okay, so that means the water is down in the ground. So that means when I cut the tree, when I fell the tree at this, at this quarter moon phase, there's going to be such a much quicker drying process in the they call it uh, the 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 meat of the tree, like the the right. heartwood of the tree, will be more sour. Wow! And when it's more sour, then the bugs don't like it. Ah! Yeah. Very cool. And this is an Very old forestry cool. thing, and this gets back to Schauberger. You know, I always have to round things back to Schauberger because we're talking about Keeley. Schauberger was like, "You'll know a civilization by three things: the quality of its water." the quality of its forests and the quality of its music. Wow. Those three things. When I read that, it was like, yeah, that's <laughs> what else is there to say? That's, it, that really sums it up, man. Holy crap. There you go. That, that's I haven't it. heard that comment actually. I'm going to, is that from a particular book of his or just a quote that that's known of him? He wrote a journal in Austria that uh, I've read Callum Coates's book, living energies that Callum Coates took probably, I think, like 20 or 30 excerpts from this this publication that Schauberger always was writing to. And by the way, Schauberger would write poetry. 
of course. Of course. Because he was in love. Like he he was in love. Like he was a true hermeticist. He was in love with his surroundings. And so he was always listening to the forest. He could hear, he would know whether or not, because he came from a family of foresters, whether or not to cut a tree just by hearing how it would bow in the wind. Wow. Right? Yeah. Oh, man. That's yeah. incredible. It's, That's it's, incredible. Yeah. It's a really, really cool thing. So I, I'm sorry. I just wanted to interject the thing about no, Keely because we're bringing up Keely here and there. And I just want to make sure people have a little bit of a context of why Keely is so important in this conversation with resonance and dissonance and constructive interference and all these right. things. And, you know, he made a, technically speaking, of two hemispheres and he was making them rotate. I mean, do we call it, I was curious what you think about this. Do we call it, was it perpetual motion or was it to a point where he could get it to move? I wasn't sure about that based on what I was able to find. Dale Pond posits that he could get it once he tuned it mm-hmm. and also depended on the timing yeah. of the, of the, sure. of the stellar sphere. If it was the right timing, the the amount of input energy was was so much less than the actual exhaustion of its motion right the work in other words the work exactly and so there's no no such thing as free like i i never use the terminology free (laughs) because i i've been i've been a part enough of uh the uh i guess you'd say over unity crowd from the get Where it's just like, you know, you hear free energy. It's just like, no, you have no idea the level of investment and the level <laughs> of uh, energy input that has gone into a device to even get it to be even close to being over unity. Right. It's right. Pretty hard to even imagine just to begin with. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And this but, gets back to G because I want to say this. I'm sorry yeah. I keep jumping in. No, but no it's I, great, man. I, I get so excited because this is about the heart. So I've seen in my life, love is over unity. So mm-hmm. whenever I've loved, there's been enough energy to do what's needed. You know, there's just always more energy available. It's and when, there, when there's not love, there's not enough energy. Yeah. It, it right. just, it, it goes, there's... I know I'm reducing it. I'm being highly reductionist in this. No, no, but it's it's good. And and so for me, when I was watching that resonant pattern, that resonant cymatic pattern, where it was literally, I'm watching these concentric circles, she was not adding any more input energy. It wasn't like she was vigorously going around on on the on the edge of the bowl harder or anything like that but these concentric circles were getting larger and larger and larger and we're just like amazed watching this and our hearts were all open and that's like whoa okay to me this is resonance because we're all in tune there's no discordance between us we're watching this this I, it's, uh, (laughs) forgive me for this word. I love this word. I don't even know if it's a real word. Uh, concrescence. There was a a constructive concrescence that was occurring in the cymatic pattern of the water. Yeah. 
And dude, by the way, that building ended up being the best thing I've ever built. Like it is, it is extraordinary. Like that, I really, I think that little ceremony that we did really put us <laughs> in the good graces. Right, right. And it, yeah, it, it anchored, okay. it anchored that pattern. Like it anchored that, that resonant harmonic. Right. And so, ooh. Well, now I used another term, harmonic. I don't even know if well, that's correct. You know, you know it, it, I think it is because, you know, I, I don't know, of course. I'm just, I'm just making, you know, educated guesses on what it is because I, I don't know, of course. And, you know, to say that you definitely do is hard to say. But some of Keeley, as I was reading some of the stuff, it mentioned that, you know, modern science doesn't understand the power of things. There's certain elements. And that when you reach a certain octave, it becomes, it unleashes itself in a whole new light, mentioning particularly the ninth octave. And he was talking about thirds and sixths and ninths. So I hope we get to discuss that because that may really relate a lot to some of the things that you're discussing uh, right now or that we're like, trying to get to because we're trying to unravel this thing too. You know, there's more to the story. It's an endless journey. It's crazy. But maybe after a time, it's possible that um, she is, because you can go through the overtone series on a string with harmonic, what are called harmonics on a string. And I've, I've done it on my show before. I wish I had an instrument right now. I actually do. I rented a bass so I can take some lessons while I'm on vacation here mm -hmm. um, at the local store down here. So maybe I can, but everyone's sleeping. I don't know. But um, you can manipulate the overtones, but then it goes past how, how it's too high. You can't hear it. And it's very hard to manipulate because they're so close together. They're farther apart at first, and then they become closer and closer together the ratio keeps getting you know more extreme maybe she raised the octave so high over a, a period of time that it was a one-to-one -one. because the octave is the same pitch and it's the only thing that won't have any kind of fluctuation amongst itself so a true octave you know a pure octave and this is why a lot of guitarists use something called the chorus effect because uh, a chorus of singers can never ever perfectly sing in tune it's absolutely impossible i don't care how good it is and th there's a little bit of a wobble in their their dissonance. Not and even the, the Beach Boys. Well, there's they can they can hum, they can definitely chirp. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm gonna say no. It's not, okay. You know, but they're they're they are more often than not harmonizing the different notes. But the same, you know, these perfectly pure octaves. It's it's almost physically impossible, I'd say. And even if you did, the size of your vocal cord. The nature of your voice, your timbre will be different. Mm -hmm. So there's already a difference um, because there are something called partials in this overtone series. If you play a clarinet or if you play an English horn, they look really, really similar. But a clarinet has that open bore and the English horn has this closed bore. They do the inversion of the partials. They grip different sets of the overtone series and this changes their timbre. So that's why even if they're in the same family of instruments, they sound very different. And, um, and they interact very differently when they play together, as a matter of fact. So even if they play the same note, it would seem silly for a composer to put two of the same types of instruments in the same note, but you do get something of an effect out of it because they're not the same. And they're, they're, they're manipulating and they're bringing out different partials. So no matter what, even if you sing perfectly, there's still something. And that's what chorus effect is. It's like a little wobble. So anyway, having said all that, <laughs> I think maybe, Maybe, and um, maybe she knows, maybe she can and inform you further that she's reaching a much higher octave than you normally can, unless you have to, you know, you, you turn it into a whole physical process. Maybe the, 
maybe the stars align, so to speak, to say a cheap term. Maybe maybe it had a lot to do with the the group bringing themselves into it. It's very yeah. possible too, of course. It's very possible. That yeah, middle fire opened up for everybody. Yeah, yeah. And we did it midday too. We did it mm -hmm. like 11 a.m. So I see. It, it would have been 12. So the sun was at its zenith and it was in June. So the sun... The sun was definitely in its more, you know, Gemini Cancer Cancernian station. I see. So, yeah, there was probably a whole, you know, concrescence of different just, variables yeah. that, right. that that worked really well. Um, you need to yeah. re you replicate it as best as possible, maybe with just you and her, and see if she can reproduce that exact thing again. Yeah, she's she's pretty much a musical vagabond. She goes all around the world, so I'd have I'd have to pin her down for that. Um, like, and I'm not saying she can't. I'm sure she can, but I wonder if that exact octave was achieved, and maybe she felt it and was like, "Okay, we're raising the next octave, next octave," because mm -hmm. you may be able to, you may be able to tell yourself that um, more than just being able to do it through. She didn't change her frequency, technically speaking, right? Her frequency remained, mm -hmm. so maybe it was spiritual mental whatever you want to call it maybe it was a, a big part of it where she's like okay i can click it let's do this i'm locked in we get the next octave mm -hmm. well here's a it. here's a crazy thing with water and this might have been the like m sort of my influence on this mm. we um my friend moshe daniel he actually invented a mojo cell and it's a sphere within a sphere within a sphere within a sphere and it's a take on what a Joe cell is. Do you know what a Joe cell is? Yeah, you mentioned, you told me about them, and I, I think you should still give give me some more. I want to I want to get in the flow of like knowing what it really is. I'm not I'm not 100 on it. Okay, so Joe cell is a device that essentially creates orgone, right? And it distributes the orgone to your motor block because there's something about orgone that when it enters an engine and when it enters anything where there's compression and let's just call it, let's just call it force from compression yeah. and then explosion. So whenever you have these explosions going on, what orgone will do in these situations is it will somehow make the movement of the piston more laminar. Wow. And then it will create a negative pressure, which is suction. Right. You just don't have the explosion. You actually have suction. And so in nature, nature likes to suck. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put that as the title. That's, I love so it. if you have a cylinder and say the cylinder is like one liter in volume. Right. If you were to explode a piston to go up and down that cylinder, um, you could get a certain amount of force. Given right. the same energy input, if you were to suck the piston right. in the same volume, you have 40 times more force. Holy crap. Not four, not 14, 40 times the force. And I know the proponents of big oil are saying the combustion engine is still the, the only one, the only one, the way to go. Well, still. the thing is, they it know. would be if it was, if it was cavitated. If it, 
if it had if it was cavitated i see if it was cavitated because that's what cavitation is so like everybody well let's just say at a certain age range <laughs> right, right we've walked into old homes and you've turned the water on and the water you can hear the pipes and then you turn yeah. the water off abruptly and the pipes shake yeah <laughs> That's cavitation. And what that is, is the water is used to going in a direction. Right. The valve cuts the, the flow. And now there's a gap and nature abhors a vacuum. Yeah. This is one of Schauberger's big things. This is why he was like making fun of people that believed in space. I see. There is no such thing as no space in nature. If, right. if there's a vacuum, she fills it immediately. That's oh. cavitation. And what occurs is you end up getting like if you have a, a cylinder and it cavitates, the cylinder isn't being pressurized to explode outward. The, the pipe is flattening out. It's being sucked right. to a center point. Right. And right. that's why in all these major cities, when they have a main when they have a main blow it's not the main that's blowing it's actually cavitated i see it, it's sucked in so they'll have pressure ratings of like you'll be like why is the pressure rating on this on this on this water main you know a thousand psi that's nuts right. it has nothing to do with the water that's flowing through it and pressurizing the system they're trying to handle the cav the cavitation if they shut the valve, that, that actual pipe collapsing. That makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah. So with orgone, when you, when you channel orgone into an engine, this guy Joe in Australia, he found out by accident. He's like, man, my Chevy, I can drive forever. I think over there they call them Holdens. I think he had like a Holden, oh, yeah. a Holden Commodore or something like that. This big V8, this very inefficient car. And I, I forget the exact story of like why he put his Joe, like he called it a Joe cell. He just had some extra uh, exhaust canisters from different right. cars and he just kind of stacked them and filled them with water. And he was doing electrolysis and he was trying to like play around with electrolysis and putting hydrogen into cars. Because a lot of people don't know, there were so many car companies be in the 60s that were pumping water into the engine blocks for steam for extra compression. I see. So you had tons of tuners that were playing with this stuff. And it's just kind of written, it's written out of the history books. Well, he was doing he, he was doing his thing with it. And he found he's like, man, I'm like using like no gas. Wow. Holy shit. And he noticed that the, his electrolysis looked totally different. Like he looked at it and he was like, when he looked at his cylinders from the top, he was like, man, this is like milky white. This is almost right. like this sudsy white. The, the bubbles are totally different. And he was messing around one day and he like kind of scooped the suds out and, and he just lit it for shits and giggles. Right. And it imploded. Wow. And then he's like, oh, this is a totally different thing. This is an implosion. Yeah, because implosion, this is kind of cool from a sound perspective. We're used to things pushing in. When yeah. something implodes around you, it sucks your eardrum out. Right. Yeah. It's Sounds horrifying, of, actually. <laughs> it's, it's freaky. I, yeah. I, I've imploded two things around me. I was like, whoa. <laughs> my my ex-father-in-law, my ex, oh, my ex -father -in -law, God rest his soul, 
uh, I the first time I ran one of these mojo cells, I was getting this really foamy, like this beautiful white milky material. So the water was highly structurizing. Right. And there was warnings on everything. Like emotions, like whatever you do, don't light this. Do not oh, light yeah. it inside. Do not light it. What do I do? I light it. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> and so my father-in-law's over my left shoulder. He was deaf in his right ear. And I lit the thing like right here. And it was yeah. on the countertop. And I was like, okay, I'm going for it. And I lit it. Oh. And it went like it was like a like it like it was a totally different sound. Like it, wow. like I can't impersonate it because it was, yeah. it doesn't push against you. It's not a vibration right. that's hitting you like this. It's wow. sucking you to it. And he heard it. His deaf ass heard it. <laughs> that's it was, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a man who was like 90% deaf in his right ear. And he was like excited because he like heard, heard something. He heard <laughs> it. He heard something in his right ear. So this is kind of cool because this gets the musical nature of things too, because, you know, it's not just the shape that the vibration's happening or the tempo or the spacing or the core, like all these different things. That's still talking about something that's coming at you and overlapping you. Right. You're getting this symphony of overlapping waves that's doing this against you, your ears and your body. Right. Imagine if it was going this way. Wow, man. That might be a revolutionary idea is what it might be. It's like Music. the movie. It's like the movie Tenet. Have oh, you I didn't see that. No, I didn't see that. So Christopher Nolan, he's the big, he's the big, I'm waiting for Chance and the boys to unravel all of Christopher Nolan's movies. To me, I think he's like the, I think he's the one, he's the sanctioned person that that yeah. that the elite allow to tell us everything that's happening yeah and he's really teetering on that i know with all this then now he's doing the nuclear bomb thing right yeah so with tenant the whole movie the first half of the movie goes forward in time and right. the second half of the movie goes backward in time oh, i see yeah so you end up being at the same place because he did the movie memento like that famous yeah that was his wasn't that his first one that was a yeah. long time yeah, yeah, it was yeah. brilliant. So, so the it's we're experiencing sound just on the basic physics level of what we're told is we we are all in a medium of a fluid. This fluid you could call air, you could call it water vapor, you could call it ether, you could call it all these things. And what physics tells us is sound is these waves that are coming at us. Boom, boom. Right. And the rate and the ratio that they're hitting us in the in the shape at which they're collapsing on us, our our ears transduce. And transduce is a very specific word. It means converting from one thing to something totally different. Right. And that's like <laughs> I have to really like harp on people to know that word because they, the the terminology needs to be specific here. So you sure, get sure. this you get this transduction of these these waves of whatever the fluid is. Our eardrums transduce it. Our body, I really think our body has has sound sensors. You know, now they know our cells have light sensors. 
right no it, now they know. right right now they know <laughs> now they it, know, it's yeah. only going to be a, a matter of time where they go oh all these villi on the cells and stuff like that those were actually antenna and they were picking up vibration the entire time imagine that imagine so that. for lack of a better word the lack of a better uh let's say biology yeah. let's just say it's only being transduced by our ears these vibrations are ding 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 and as they overlap and do their thing the shape of our ears the shape of our body how we're moving through space the shape of the the structure that we're in while we're hearing it like right. just the fact that everybody's like putting these things in their ears now to listen to stuff i mean it's kind of disconnecting so, us from the rest of our body, right? No, it is. It is. And I don't like the overall effect doesn't, doesn't feel right, you know? Right. So it transduces these vibrations into something that we, our brain interprets as, you know, music or sound or whatever. Right. But imagine the same medium, instead of these things overlapping on you, now they're they're actually being pulled away from you. The amount wow. of power that that would have is just unbelievable. And I think a lot of times when people hit that, that, that point in meditation where they say the silence is deafening, mm -hmm. I actually think that's what's happening. Very interesting. Because it may easily be removing things from you that you meant to. Exactly. You know, it, put it, it, terms, yeah. It's like the field goes like this as the field as your field expands, right. as that bubble expands, it's pulling everything out and away from you, your 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 sensor capacity. And right. it's so the subtlety of it going away from you is what's the deafening sound. Right, because most people have never even experienced it. Or if they did, they weren't aware of it. Yeah. So I just wanted to bring up the whole thing with, with this, the, the mojo cell and these vibrations, because we're talking about this constructive interference that creates a resonance. And then we have these, these, these Joe cells, and then we have the mojo cell. Right. I experienced with the mojo cell, we got two of them running and we got the frequencies of both of them to match. Wow. Which is very difficult to do. Yeah, what happened there? That's, that must have been work. <laughs> Dude, within six hours, we were visited by black whoop whoop choppers. That's insane, dude. And, and it's, it's not far-fetched at all. No. That that attracted them immediately. Yeah, because the way it was explained to me was that we, we created a clean spot. Yeah, right, right. So, they noticed immediately. So yeah. we had this highly structured water in these mojo cells, these two spheres. And we'd been playing with these ways of charging. We had charged the water. So we had that really a ton of orgone, like the, you had the milky white water. Right. But we couldn't get like with our, with our frequency modulator, we couldn't get the two cells to like hit it. Mm. Like at the same, it wasn't like we couldn't ring them because they were submerged in water and they had water inside them. And it took us a while. I forget what Moshe did, but he tuned it and he finally got it. And there were eight of us there and all of our hearts opened again. So it was just like that woman with the crystal bowl. Right. Now our hearts all open. Even my old father-in-law, his heart opened. <laughs> he was right. like, ooh. And wow. we were all like, whoa. We were riding this high. We we're like, oh, we're done for the night. And then the next yeah. morning, 
I'm like, I get up, I'm going to go make my coffee. And we had a friend that was sleeping in the backyard Right. And uh, I was I was making my coffee and she walks in and she's like, Topher, uh, there's a helicopter over the house. And I'm like, girl, are you crazy? Like, yeah, I don't I, I don't hear anything. And she's like, no, I walked outside the patio and looked up and there is a whoop, 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 yeah. whoop, 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 whoop. We dude, we're in downtown Palm Beach County, Florida. Like it wasn't like we were out in the sticks. We were in a residential. Oh, crap. We were in a residential. But, but Topher, these things only happen in movies. <laughs> no, 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 no. We we ended up taking the Mojo to Tesla Tech, and these guys set us straight. Like we we had these four old timers that took us under our wings. They did not do oh. anything electronically. They uh -huh. gave they gave us the beats. They're like, they told us exactly what's up. But the, the whole thing with the resonance. So I want to get into resonance because yeah. the way I think of it was we, like, if you, if you're to think of these mojos as bells, right. Okay. Rung one bell and then we rung the other bell and the medium that they were in, cause it right. was like a large terrarium. The medium that yeah. they were in somehow some way the vibration of one and the vibration of the other matched right is that resonance i think that it's resonance more often is that you have something else is activated by the other so if you rang them each separately then maybe they hit a resonant frequency together where they, they did. They, so that's what they've met. They met at a resonant frequency. That's so what I think. I think there's something with water because the medium, the thicker medium, because yeah. this happened with that bowl, with the, the crystal bowl. Right, right. That cymatic pattern to me looked like, like I'm just intuiting that that was resonance. Sure. There was some sort of resonance because that concentric circle image froze and just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, maybe there's a term that, you know, isn't often used that we can just kind of throw around at least to label it as like harmonic resonance resonance, because I don't know if I see that term. It's, it makes sense in this, in this idea that it's harmonious. A harmony is really any two notes, whether it's dissonant or consonant is a whole nother thing, but you clearly found a very, um, a very consonant, harmonious resonance. So this is where my lack of knowledge needs to be rectified. I always thought if it was resonant, it was constructive, meaning it would be harmonious. Right, right. But you're well, saying there can be disharmonious resonance? Uh, yes, and it, it can happen very easily. And this is a great way to start talking about what Keeley was doing too, because I think he's manipulating that exact concept. Mm -hmm. Because um, he, he cited two pitches in particular. He said B flat and B, right? These would be adjacent piano keys, a white and a black key right next to each other. Mm -hmm. They would be two frets right next to each other on, on a guitar, right? This is called a minor second. Because intervallically, we have seconds, thirds, fourths, fifths, sixths, and sevenths. And then we get our octave, right? Minor second, the two closest notes possible that tends to be essentially the most dissonant thing we have. 
So I think right away, just because of that alone, he was manipulating dissonance in a, in a, harmon in a harmoniously resonant fashion to, to make something towards the work that he was doing here. And, and then, um, as I mentioned earlier, he mentioned thirds, sixths, and ninths, right? Mm -hmm. But we need to maybe just talk about that for a moment before we kind of get into it, because I want to make sure that we don't, we, we can't be sitting on music theory concepts for this. It's not necessarily correct, but it can give us insight into what he might've been trying to find. Mm -hmm. Because the problem with just saying thirds, sixths, and ninths is that those are, uh, there's several problems. I'll try to, I'll try to make them as less music theory as possible. There are different types of thirds and sixths in music. There's minor and there's major thirds. There's minor and major sixths. And there's minor and major ninths. The ninth is actually a whole different thing that we'll discuss in a minute. So I love the idea that he has the thirds and the sixths because most chords are made out of thirds. Most musical chords that we use. Mm -hmm. So that's clearly what we would essentially say a, a consonant harmony, right? The only um, harmonies that are not so dissonant is an octave, which is just pure and perfect, or the fifth, and maybe the fourth as well. And they're called perfect in our language that we have, this Western music theory language. They are the least dissonant. And when stacked 12 times, they come back home to the octave again. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not a perfect circle either, by the way. It's, it's like 365.24 or something, just like the year that we're supposed to have, apparently. Right. So very interestingly enough, that relates to that too. And that's a whole other bag of worms, I think. But thirds and sixths are an interval Interval being the distance between two notes. Mm -hmm. These are intervals that can invert into each other. Picture it this way. A, B, C is a third musically. Mm -hmm. If we go backwards, C, B, A, G, F, E. So now C to E is a sixth mm -hmm. going the other direction. So thirds and sixths invert into each other. Mm -hmm. So I think he was taking advantage of the idea that these technically chord building intervals musically are things that he was very focused on because clearly in, in the overtone series as well, the pure immutable natural laws of, of nature, I almost said science of nature, these thirds are what we use to build actual harmony that we functionally use in Western theory, whether it's equal temperament or not. Mm. Now, this is a lot of information. I'm aware of that. And I'm, I'm, I want to make sure I don't like go too far with it, you know, so you can stop me anytime with whatever I'll, I'll repeat. Now, there's the ninth also that he mentioned. Mm -hmm. And the ninth, it, what we know it as musically, is that it's a compound interval. Because I have said earlier, and I'm sure most of your listeners actually are aware of this concept, that octave would be the eight. Anything past an octave, we're going right back and we're restarting the numbers again. Eight is technically one. We're restarting. Mm -hmm. We're going back to the beginning. So a ninth is really a second and now we're back to that, that minor second thing that we were talking about, which is basically the most dissonant thing we have. But he was uh, talking about it, and I, I don't have it memorized. I really don't have it memorized. And this isn't math. And I'm glad you said that you didn't approach, you know, you're approaching it with your heart. You're, you're coming at it with your, all your intent, and you're, you're aligning yourself with things going on mm -hmm. above you because you know it's not just math. Even if you use math to help yourself, it, it's not the final answer for any of this. Mm -hmm. It never will be. You know, it, those that's not nature. That's not, that's not how it works. You know, he was talking about, um, sorry, hold on. I'll find it. I'll find it. There's six. I, I normally am more prepared guys. I'm sorry. I no, okay. don't worry I, about it. I, I made some crib notes before all this. Um, diet. Okay. So he said diatonic thirds and he also used the word enharmonic. 
And that's one that he was that that I think is different than what we we know it as. But he was saying that uh, bottom line, cord mass of the instrument and the tube have to have some kind of functional relationship. And he was talking again about these notes B flat and B and putting them in a certain ratio, which any any two notes have a ratio. When they said, you know, they claim Pythagoras found this. I'm not sure if he was even a real person. I don't, I don't want to even get into that right now. But he was listening to the blacksmith hit the, and then he's like, oh, this this one that's double the size is an octave. I, I hear it. This one's a fifth. You know, he was hearing the sounds based on size and these proportions that we usually get. And he was saying he used three fourths and two thirds. But when we look at musical proportions, it doesn't even matter what the interval is. We get four thirds and three two instead. We get it you know, reversed. Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm, and I'm throwing this out there because I'm not sure. I, I don't know if he reversed it on purpose. I don't know if he tried to find it in some other way. Like he was aware of the music stuff for sure. He knew the intervals, he knew the language and he turned it into, he he must have, my, my point of all this being that I think he used dissonance. I think dissonance was the p potential answer. And maybe there's a Vesica Pisces equation to work out with the two bells. Mm -hmm. And also what happened before you saw the, the concentric circles on the water, there must've been some Vesica Pisces, something or other going on there too. Mm -hmm. Maybe at a you know humongous amount of them at once. I, I don't know. It, there, there needs to be more, more research. You know, I need to see it physically too to really get a sense of it. So let me let me give you a a different way of thinking of music. Mm. We'll, we'll we'll get into like the physics vibration sphere. Sure. sure. Um, I went to a conference held by the head of physics for uh university of sweden and he wow. was doing a study on the effect of cell phones right on biological organisms and in the eu at the time this was 2014 in the eu at the time they did did a study of ericsson the, the company ericsson is really yeah. big over over there and they saw where, you know, they had one, two, and three G at that time. Right. <clears throat> and they did a study of where these towers were, and they were studying the amplitude and the frequency. And for those of you that don't know um, what amplitude and frequency are, so the microwave is a square wave, but it's not technically a square wave in nature they just call it a square wave so it's not like these squares are, yeah, are flying <laughs> the frequency is how fast each one of these you know uh troughs and peaks go and then the amplitude would be the pressure behind it and so what they were finding was is that with the cell phone towers they had to have more of them with a lower amplitude to not effect <laughs> right. to not affect all biological life in an adverse way okay good that's i'm glad they took that approach because <laughs> they they had seen in forests like where they had these like really high amplitude towers the line to the next tower was like everything was dead underneath <laughs> yeah 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 and i've seen it affect like the insects and stuff too yeah they'd react to the pulsing well the main thing is is it's water like we get back to Shawburger. You know, the water doesn't want to be microwaved. Mm. It just doesn't. So yeah. the water recedes. It goes. I see. So microwaves are like a desiccant. 
that's why like the world is going through these like drought slash monsoon things other than all the the uh the shenanigans that they're doing with the geoengineering Sure, but sure. the the main geoengineering is now we've kind of laced the 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 plane with all these microwaves. So what he was showing, he was telling us about that. But then what he did was he essentially took one phone. He goes, "This is how we test phones to see if whether or not they're safe." And he threw it in this little box that looked like a Faraday cage. Yeah. And we all had to like have our phones off in there. The room. Oh the the room itself was shielded somehow and so he showed the what was emanating from the phone when it was on with no an airplane mode turning airplane mode off this box like lit up all all the lights were going on so but there was still no harmful radiation that was coming from it and by harmful meaning ionizing radiation right positively ionized radiation and so what does he do next he goes now this is how all the tests in the world are done Mm. one phone in the box he goes look look what happens when we put a second phone in the box with it dude like everything was going off on this thing and he what he was explaining was is that the phones are always the, the 3G phones weren't they weren't um, transmitters at the time they were just receivers right. so they would they would transmit a signal back but they weren't like doubling they weren't like sending that next signal to the next phone like all the the 5G phones are now even at the 3G level he was saying that there was a disharmonic between every single phone that's ever been made ever oh, and so Make what sure. and so once you get two phones near each other because they're they're receiving signals from different different distributors who's to say like we're just talking about the the timbre of each one of our vocal cords yeah. right exactly different. there's no cell phone in the world that's the same if right. it has the same charge if it's at the at if it's triangulated to its server it's all yeah. it's, nothing can share the same location nothing that's existence right so you know the so what he was showing was and so he he drew a venn diagram because when you said vesica pisces this is what this is what it is a venn diagram imagine a circle overlapping another circle midway through the radius you get this this thing that looks like a yoni it looks like a fish that's the that's the overlap that is the interference area where he called it dis- destructive interference mm. the the ionizing radiation that happens in these interference like you can have constructive interference and you can have destructive interference and essentially the way he said it was because no phone is harmonious with another phone the majority of these overlapping areas create these pockets of ionizing radiation because it's destructive interference. Right. So that would be like two singers, right? That are trying to sing the same song, but they're just out of tune. (laughs) Yeah. Right. 
just just not work not gelling so to speak and it hurts (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it can physically hurt you can actually receive pain from dissonance yeah if if the amplitude is strong enough and when, as soon as I saw that presentation, uh, Judy Wood's book made total sense to me about yeah. where did the towers go? Did you, no, did, I know did the you, book. you know that book? I know it. I didn't read it. I know it. Oh, as a musician, because as a musician, you're a physicist. Like if you're into music theory, you're a physicist. Right. So she talks about she knew the companies that had the patents for the type of weaponry that could essentially do what Keeley was doing. Right. Like it was a way of this. What what did you call it? It's the fifth. It's the the B and the B flat. What is oh, that? Uh, minor second, perhaps? Minor second. Minor yeah. second. Like, so the way she described the technology that would cause dustification. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love I love her because she came up with her own terms, you know. Right. So there was such dissonance what they would do is they would charge the matter with like a baseline. Right. Like a, like a, just a regular uh, radio frequency vibration. Right. And so that would essentially the mass of the building would be taking that charge. Mm. Then they, this might be just what you call resonance, but destructive resonance. Then they hit it with a secondary vibration, and maybe you can help me um, help me with the terminology. I guess a resonant frequency with it, but not in the FM band, but in the microwave band. Oh, okay, that's actually pretty crazy. I didn't know that that part of it. Is so, this what they call like the God bomb or something, where they were just this is this is this is scalar physics so in scalar physics like so we're all taught in regular physics they show you the you know the sine wave right and you're like what are these just these flat things that are rolling through nature (laughs) right right. and the what scalar physics is going okay they're getting you looking at this this the end the trough and the peak of things right but just like when you're at the beach, what's causing the the peak is there's a barrel. Right. There's a transverse wave. That transverse wave is what that peak and trough are being right. are are riding on. So it's actually it's tangential to what you're actually looking at. So what they took out of all the science uh, from 1957 on for the normal person was talking about transverse waves. Wow. They were just saying, okay, you're looking at an oscilloscope and there's this thing and you, yeah. you know, that's, that's 2d. Yeah. That's not, it's not the final representation. The 3d phenomenon is there's these, there's these, there's a transverse thing that's going on that all this is riding on. And in scalar physics, they, what they do is they say there's an axiom is like for the specific outcome, you engineer the environment. Interesting, man. Yeah. And it's still kind of just binary bullshit as it is because it's like one up, one down, we keep hitting zero in between. It's still kind of like a binary. It's still like a computer thing. You know, it's not, it's not nature-based again. As no. always, it so can't be. they're engineering the environment 
to create a certain outcome. So what they do is they hit uh, in this specific way, if I understand scalar physics, because scalar physics has a, has a non a locale perspective to it and a non-temporal perspective to it. So right. her theory is that the hurricane that was off the coast of New York that almost nobody knows about, <laughs> but right. there was a, there was a category four hurricane that was just right off the coast of New York. She's saying that, the, that there's a technology that can harness the electrical potential in that, in that zone that because right. that zone that that location would have a certain frequency range they sure, can sure. they can actually create a duplicate like a semi-lacrum of that electrical potential in another area and just because they're they're so similar there's a transference that makes sense and this is this is coming back to the keely thing because they're going to be very 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 similar again with like the two singers Mm -hmm. And these two notes where, again, the, just to make the example of Keely with B flat and B, they're so similar that they're going to look very similar overall, but they don't interact. And their overtone series is very different. The ones that, the ones that are called perfect, the fourth and the fifth, the octave, those share a lot of the overtone series. Mm -hmm. So they're way more harmonious. They're a much cleaner sounding interval. Even the thirds that we mentioned before that make chords those are technically far more dissonant than those fifths, even though they still make the nice harmonies that we're used to. It's just that we're, we're used to hearing the ones from the piano with that equal temperament. And it's not the one from the over the beautiful overtone series, perfect thirds that we should really be all growing up with. Like you can't imitate a bird when they sing and they're probably using exactly that, but this is makes perfect sense for the Keeley stuff because if, if they're, you weren't talking about that storm that turned hard right at the day before 9 11, are you? You're not talking yeah. about that storm? That storm. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, they've been manipulated the hell out of that. So, maybe, and, and this is another thing that could come from that. Like, what could have actually pushed an entire humongous ball of dissonance like a, like a hurricane like that? What could have possibly pushed it, right? Well, this is the and, fun thing. So, check yeah. this out. This is, will be another little thing. They're not, they're not ball of dissonance. Hurricanes and, and tornadoes are actually perfect. You're right. They have the eye of the storm. They're perfect resonance. Perfect spirals. You're right. So they're I've had, spirals. I've had the good fortune of being both in the middle of a tornado and the middle of a hurricane. Whoa. That's how I got to know Dr. Dr. Judy Wood is, wow. is I'm like one of the weirdos in the world that's had both experiences incredible man. that we had this dialogue <laughs> because when you're in the center of either one of them you're in you're in a zero pressure zone right you're in the you're at the pole you're the pole you're the pole so this is the whole mario garza thing that i'm in love with the north yeah. pole so you have that zero you're literally at the zero point and when i say there's no mind there's no mind you're in the zone like you're just like Everything is perfect. Right. And do it, to clarify, we're not discussing a vacuum whatsoever. This is not no, a No, no, no. Right. You do everything perfect. Everything that occurs from the potential of your particular body mind, mm. it, does, it does it to perfection. 
We always right. loved hurricanes in Florida because that was the only time people were nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, man. Just in case. And no, <laughs> no, it wasn't even that. Like after a hurricane came, the energetics were so good. Oh, Every everybody was hanging out. It did a wipe of all the negative energy. Wow. And there's no way for it to function unless it really was perfect. I did a whole episode on spirals, so I, I went against my own knowledge, honestly. Yeah. 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 No, the so there's an electrical potential between the lowest point in the ground and the highest point in the sky. Right. The longer that distance is, the higher the potential voltage is. Right. And what's occurring is these things move through whatever zone is needed for the pressure mediation of two discordant pressure gradients. Right. So it is nature's balancing element. It's literally the, the center of the hurricane or tornado is perfection. It is it's perfection. You're right. So the, the, there's a, your, I think your information is wrong. The hurricane that was going at New York state, it didn't make a hard right. It dissipated. Oh, okay. They just like busted it. <laughs> cloud busting so what they did was they they didn't it's exactly the way a cloud buster works because i've done cloud busters it's the same way with the oregon accumulators like trust me everybody this all is one thing i'm <laughs> i know i'm bouncing all over we're talking music theory we're talking no, oregon we're talking hurricanes 9 11 what the so the potential that was in the hurricane the the force potential that was in the hurricane, right. they matched, forgive me if I'm wrong about this, they matched the frequency range of whatever that was where the towers were. Right. And then they were, ab they were able through this, this, this um, constructive, how should I say this? Because you're saying resonance destructive resonance were able to take that energy to to dustify these buildings the the right. the twin towers it looked like they just pulled the 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 world trainer 7 but the whole thing that she showed was was that from the satellite view of this when you're looking down there were seven buildings that were destroyed that day right not just 3 <laughs> there yeah. were 3 that fell but there were holes, like there were other buildings that were cored out. Yeah. So for, for this weaponry to work, you need three triangulation points. It's sort of like, you know, the Kennedy oh, yeah. assassination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's really cool because she showed that the FM signal that they sent, the radio frequency signal that they sent, they sent at road level because it flipped every other car on the road. So, and then they showed that the second, she showed that the secondary signal hit it tangentially at a hundred or at 90 degrees. And then the tertiary signal came from the, the plane that everybody could see in the sky. This, what looks like an AWACS white, plane. Yeah. That white one. Yeah. 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 And so that they had the triangulation on all three, they had the three axis E triangulation and who knows what the, the what the mechanism is by transferring all that energy but that created the dustification
Because here's the thing. If there were people jumping out of the windows, and that was true, and they said when they looked at the genetics of everybody that hit the, hit the ground from jumping out of those towers, they were all naked. Wow. And there, there's video of them, like, as they're falling, they're taking their clothes off. Oh, I saw a lot of people taking their clothes off, waiting to jump or trying to get out to the outside as far as possible from the center. Yeah. So what she right. was saying is that's total proof that they were being microwaved. Sure. Because when you have, yeah, because yeah, when the, when the fires went off, all the water sprinklers went on, they got soaked. Then they're getting hit with a microwave signal. Right. All the calls to 9-11 or to, to the emergency, were, were, they were all saying, I'm burning, I'm burning. And the people kept asking them, well, are you on fire? Is there fire there? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, what do you mean you're burning then? What do you mean? You know, and the real world or exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there's the microwave. Wow. So the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's a wonderful, uh, we have a model in our life of a dis of this massive destruction. These were like the two largest buildings in the world. Were you yeah. living in New York when that happened? I was in Long Island. Yeah. Like mid North Long Island. Right. Mm -hmm. And for days I could taste it in the air, you know? Yeah. Days. So, so the particulates were so fine. Good point. And so there's, and the thing was, was over time, those particulates got smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's like, that is not natural. Nobody can say <laughs> nano thermite or mini nukes right. or none of that does. That's all explosive. We're getting mm -hmm. back to the implosive things. We're getting back yes. into, there are some molecular disassociation that was occurring with these particles. And that's that's technology that the the world doesn't know about yet. <laughs> right, right. The usual, you know, it's there, but no one knows about it. And they, and of course, can't talk about this stuff because, you know, look, I, I try to say on my show a lot that these, these people definitely died, and it was absolutely horrible. And we're yeah. not saying that anything about that, you know. But we're trying to now exemplify that frequency warfare was used. Right. We're talking about microwaves mixed with different waves. And that might actually be far more uh, violent because with the with the earlier example of the two that are similar but different, right. they're rolling and rolling at the same pace over a long stretch of space. They may do something like that line of trees, right? Mm -hmm. But with this, you might be getting it all concentrated in small little bits. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why every other car was flipped because it had to make its way, you know. It was every other car. And so this is another thing. So every other car that was flipped was melted. Mm -hmm. Every car that was left on it, its tires, the tires melted, but the car was left okay. Oh, it was fine. Right. Just like the trees that didn't burn and the cars melted in California that one time, especially. Ding, 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 ding. And they changed that all the, didn't they change out all the smart meters or that, that neighborhood? Exactly. Paradise. My last, I just did an yeah, interview right. with, with Cal Washington and we were talking offline about the the smart meters and what they are and stuff. And it's just like, so why, why are they destructive? It's not just that it's a microwave frequency. Right. Because microwave by itself isn't, isn't what's, isn't what's so harmful. 
What's harmful is what we're talking about is when you have this Venn diagram, when you have an overlapping, the weaponization of this stuff is, is they know that nothing is isolated. Right. Right. <laughs> it's not, it's not just the fact that you have a smart meter. It's the fact that you got, you know, how many, how many cell phones in your household? Yeah. And the TVs and you know whatever the toaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then that the electricity that's coming through these old these old lines is dirty and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. So you can't take anything in isolation, Good but point. it's 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 really kind of wonderful because we started off talking about we got Pavarotti, we got Whitney. Yeah. We got this, this like this constructive resonance that just the heart opens. You're, 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 you become a poet. You feel close to your creator, and then you have this destructive interference with like crazy potency. But it almost yeah. seems like it almost seems like all the destructive interference comes from like some sort of synthetic creation yeah. you know what i'm saying right yeah yeah definitely i do like but it, but it is being used and manipulated it's not and it's immutable laws but maybe it is maybe they just have a way of kind of twisting it for their benefit well the earthquake thing is really crazy have you ever seen an earthquake roll through the landscape no absolutely not it's I've wild round one really yeah because you have different types of earthquakes you have an earthquake where the land goes just like this Right. Like it, it, it's, it's lateral. And then you have the vertical earthquakes where the land will actually roll. Oh, that's, that, that must be like the bridge with the frequency wave. Similar thing. <laughs> it's nuts. Holy in, in, in Costa Rica, I got the chance to experience both. <laughs> oh, <I've> never... <laughs> it's, it's not that fun, but it's, it's kind of cool though. It's like mind stopping when it's happening. There's not like much you can do. You're just kind of like, J j just, make it? <laughs> just observing but this whole thing with actually watching that the land itself is uh, you know it, it's quote unquote solid <laughs> right yeah yeah rock solid yeah <laughs> no no we we no. live we live in a fluid medium it's right things seem solid but they're they're fluid and gaseous most of the time yeah, just look at fungus if you don't know, if you don't if you don't agree or on the fence about it. Just look how fungus behaves and the web, the interweb of fungus, you know. So I've been very amazed. I've been into vortex mathematics for a while in the whole thing with 369. And you were going to bring right. up the, you brought up how the, the three, the triune, you could go towards the six or you could go to the three and then you could go back from the three to the sixth. Right what's the what's so special about the nine you're going to talk about why the nine is when considering you know musical theory like what it's special well there's there's a few things actually and it might be worth mentioning a few of it if there's still because i got time if you do man i, I think that it's worth mentioning the the nature of the musical scale that we use is that you get up to the seventh note the final note and we call this the leading tone because when you get there, if you stop, it really feels like you have to finally make it to the octave again, right? So it has this approach, this sense of it's dissonance. You're hearing dissonance. Do what it wants to do, you know? 
And when you hit the, if you go to, let's say you hit the octave, then you go to the ninth, it, it kind of sounds like it wants to pull back. It's a reverse leading tone. It doesn't want to leave its area. So we have the octave, the two notes on the outside of it, they really just want to, they both want to be the octave. Every note wants to be the tonic. Everyone wants to be the, the center. Uh, the same thing in nature of storms, nature of everything, you know? And that's one of the inherent qualities of a ninth. Because we don't, when we do a chord that typically like has a ninth, you know, we think of jazz, we think of some classical concepts, but it's not a typical place that a chord sits, right? And here's the other thing with the ninths is that it produces a particular number. There's a, there is a symmetry to these 12 notes. When you do a musical scale, you get intervals of major and minor seconds and there's more major seconds than minor seconds, but it's not symmetrical. You don't get a perfectly symmetrical walk up to the octave. That's not how the scale works. It has diversity. It has male and female chords have male and female. Mm. Um, much like just walking or just like the hermetic principle of your hands there, there's a major and a minor third in a major chord. There's a minor and a major third in a minor chord. And now with the seconds, when you have a ninth, I was looking at it, actually, I was thinking about it in terms of how many does it take to get to an octave, right? How many major thirds reaches an octave? And that would be the number four. How many, um, how many minor sixths does it take to reach a few octaves above? It also takes four to do the same thing. When you get a ninth, if you do six ninths, you reach an octave. And that's a, a you're, but that's many octaves away. Mm -hmm. So the power of this, he was talking about going the ninth octave to find something important, to find something pretty powerful with certain elements. Uh, Keely, I mean, mm -hmm. the ninth can reach, every interval goes back to an octave eventually over a, a period of time. But certain, most instruments don't have the range to even produce it. And most humans can't do it either. Mm -hmm. So you do need some kind of machine tool to make it happen often. You really do. There's ways to manipulate instruments, but you don't get that, that it's not pure. It's not good. So, the ninth as, as a major second, it's this number six and going up in, in that, it sounds very odd. It's a very odd sounding thing that doesn't sound like a scale, but it's perfectly symmetrical, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing to mention with ninths, because I don't know what he means, if he means major or minor ninths, as I had described earlier, there's two kinds of ninths. I don't know what he means. So the, the beauty of the, the minor ninth is that it's the very next note past the octave. Again, a white and a black piano key touching. Mm -hmm. So we're back to that B flat B thing where they're very similar, right? It takes 12. It takes 12 minor ninths to get back to an octave. And that is, you know, 11 octaves away from the original octave. Mm -hmm. It's a really far away thing. So I'm starting to think based on what you just said, since it's such a, I mean, we're talking about a, a ridiculous, you wouldn't hear it. You can't hear it. No one can hear that range. It's really, I, I don't think so. Some other part of us can. Not what we use to hear the music that we know and what we understand to hear now. There's no way we can hear it the way we normally do. Um, perhaps the microwave solved this. Maybe they're placing exactly nine microwave permutations inside of the other wave. Maybe they're, maybe they found a way to manipulate it so it's not this unrecognizable, unmanipulatable thing. Maybe they've actually worked out a system and yeah that might be math i don't know i don't i don't think it's just math but perhaps the microwave can can get inside of the the waveform nine times and, and maybe it's maybe they can reach or, or manipulate it, the overtones to 
to, to reach that ninth octave or tenth octave, whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's where the destructive force comes in. Maybe the microwaves actually assist the other one. And so maybe that's why they hit the storm, you know, the hurricane. We have so we've just scratched the surface. I want to get into this this last thing um, before before we we cut out. Sure, sure. So we have there's a whenever you talk about three six nine, my mind goes to to Tesla and right. Keeley and all the Roden vortex mat- mathematics, and so. When you start getting into over unity devices, there's a principle where they talk about you don't want necessarily vibrate, you don't want frequency within your circuits. What you want is oscillation. Mm, right, right. So the difference between a frequency and an oscillation in an electrical circuit is you achieve oscillation by turning the power on off on off on off and the power being turned on off at a certain interval will create this electrical i call it electrical cavitation i never read i never heard anybody else say that but it just made sense to me because i know enough about plumbing He's like, oh, that's electrical cavitation. Like, right. Because there's so much like when you're learning electricity, they use a lot of terminology of plumbing and stuff like that. I'm like, ah, well, if I'm shutting off a valve with a lot of pressure in it, uh, uh, I get cavitation. So this is just electrical cavitation. And this was the trick that Tesla had with his with his circuits, his over unity circuits was Mm. he had coils that were flat. They weren't on a vertical axis they were on a horizontal horizontal axis so they were picking up the telluric energy which is the ground the ground based electricity and he would oscillate his circuits so that means there wasn't a frequency generator there wasn't like a i don't even know what the the part of the circuit would be called that's that's creating the frequency right but yeah. it was literally an on off on off and when the on off on off the uh on and the off would occur he would create a spark gap mm. and he was like nature abhors a vacuum on off on off on off you have all the ground potential because the coil matches the shape of the plane of existence that we live on <laughs> right, right. Ta-da! Yeah, imagine that. Why all this antiquitech have domes and pancake coils? Uh, I, hmm, I wonder. That's a very good point. Hey, just say, you know, bio <laughs> biomimicry. Hey, hey, ayo, ayo, <laughs> a little biomimicry here. So you got you got spark gaps, you got these coil the pancake coils, and you have oscillative circuits. Right. So when you hear this, what what's what's being triggered for you? The difference between an oscillation and an actual frequency. Right. Well, I don't think when I think of a frequency, I don't think of on off. That's for sure. It seems like it's the opposite. But if are you saying that the frequency of the on off is matching the actual frequencies? Um, period. 
So a better way, it's saying a, f a frequency of on-off. So the oscillation, you have an interval. Right. So they have a timing interval between when there's power in the circuit and there's no power in the circuit. Whereas in conventional electrical theory, the, the electricity is continuous. Right. And then you shut, like say I shut the light off, now there's no electricity, so there's no load. He was doing it differently. There would be a load going on as the thing was going on, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. Right, get the be load going. Because as the the load was supplying the the context <laughs> to to nature for the collapse, and he was just creating the pulsing mechanism. It's a lot the way our hearts work. Our heart doesn't work as a pump it's not pushing out it's actually a cav it's a cavitator it right. sucks in and it sucks in from the difference between the electrical potential of our extremities relative to our core body temperature of 98.6 that's a ton of electricity and plus we're always moving through an electrical field and absorbing it so we're always taking in elect electricity and the cavitation pump is doing its thing it would be impossible if the heart was a pump, as they said it. There wouldn't be enough energy in, like, you know, a whole city to run one heart. Sure, and you said the engine was running at forty times capacity with the Orgon. The same. It's same it, it's forty x. A forty x. Jeez, that's crazy, man. Well, you know, what do I think of? I'm, I'm what I'm really thinking of, and and it's just what's on top of my head is that the on off thing musically speaking if we were to you know put in these terms is that the the tonic or if you're in c major the note c that's the what we call the point of rest literally called the point of rest so that's the off right every other note any other note you choose spirals around it and just wants to go back home again so it sounds like you're leaving and coming back to the tonic very often mm -hmm. which is something that you can do it has a certain effect the yodelers do it as well by the way they hold the pitch and they kind of hit the higher note and they come back to that one pitch again. Uh -huh. It's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's possibly a thing. I, I don't know if that helps us really think of anything though. I, I keep picturing synapses of course, but I don't know if that's even a, a factor in it. It's more, it's more about the, but I'm, I'm really curious how the on off is producing the energy. I'm, Cause it's because there's always a, it's a, not, a, you, you, you can't time. think of it that way. No, 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 no. Everything is signaling. We don't, we don't produce shit. Right. Right. Ever. We think, Oh, a locomotion. I'm doing this. Uh, uh, <laughs> right. we're being provided the energy at all times. That's all these, all these masters like Keely and Tesla and Ed Skiva, like all these people that did these things that we can't explain to the one of them, they knew that nature provided everything. And it, their mechanisms were signaling mechanisms, mm. whether it was a vibratory signaling mechanism, whether it was an oscillative signaling mechanism, or whether it was a pneumatic signaling mechanism. All they were doing was they were signaling their environment, and then the environment would give them a greater return. Right. Like the, the, the 13th element, the 13th warrior. <laughs> was right. out there 
it was right. the, it was the environment it's like the way um what's his name made movies uh the guy who who filmed the moon landing um oh yeah stanley kubrick stanley kubrick in his movies the biggest character was the set yeah not the people i always when i when i was a little kid and i'd watch his movies like these actors suck <laughs> right like what's going on here <laughs> the, the, the actors were so flat like they were all purpose. flat they were all flat and it was on purpose because he was doing that whole negative space thing that really good artists do is right. like you're not they're just they're just being they're just like a pawn within the environment the set was actually what made it and if you think about it that's why he was hired to do the moon landing right they needed to be perfect they this, to be, but it was but it's more of the mental construct the set was what people were thinking about the moon right look at all this the astronauts meant nothing you're right the astronauts were secondary who gives a shit if they're playing golf or riding down yeah, movies? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're on the set, like you know, the shinning, like sure. that hotel. Yeah. He put so much time. Like, what was it in Clockwork Orange? Like he, yeah. he, he accurately built up to ninety-five percent with seeing once the cockpit of a B two bomber. I know, and I remember that receiving some serious praise for that. Like, how did you? How did this happen? Because <laughs> in his mind, it was the setting that yeah. determined what was going on. This is scalar physics again. So here, all these guys like Keeley and Tesla and Schauberger, they what they knew was, okay, we live in infinite energy. We this, I mean, the temporal realm <laughs> is right. literally endless endless action kinetic electrical whatever you whatever you want if you signal it correctly i'm not producing anything i don't produce it i signal my environment and my environment drops it in the bucket for me right and it and, reminds me to sleep sometimes here and there what's that and it reminds me to sleep sometimes here and there yes <laughs> <laughs> it's it's amazing because think about even that like you brought up such a great point when we go to bed the point that we do nothing, we actually receive the most, you know, refreshment. And it, and when you look in almost all the spiritual texts, like I just got done reading the Jeffersonian Bible, literally all Jesus says to his disciples over and over and over again is, don't worry. If God loves the birds and the grass, he loves you. Stop being right. such a fucking idiot. Yes, <laughs> if if they're not if they're not worried about what they're getting, why are you worried? Right, like and worry is a terrible thing. Like you're literally like you don't understand. Like you're made in the image and likeness of your creator. What are you doing so worried? Like all of your faults, all of them are doing because you literally feel separated from your creator. Right. You feel like you're, you're like, it's, it's all he was saying. Like, literally I'm going through it and I read it and I'm like, oh my God. He's like, fear not, 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 fear not. Like he says it over and over and over again. And like all the other spiritual texts I've read, like literally they're all saying, Hey man, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, Chill. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> you'll be provided for right. just don't don't you know be the don't be the the ghost in the machine gumming up the works right so the reason why the oscillation thing i wanted to ask you about from a musical perspective was so incredible is that's the through line right that i got from each one of these people that i studied mm -hmm. they that's all it. used oscillation i never remember schauberger talking about three six or nine right i knew tesla and keely did but they all used oscillatory mechanisms. There's something, yeah. there's something with oscillation. I just know in my life, cause I build Ram pumps, which are cavitation pumps. I literally, I know how to make cavitation and harness and push water. It's not difficult. It's literally the way nature wants to do it. Right. You just got to reproduce it. Right. The best you so, and it's not even that you have to reproduce it. It's just that you have to signal mother nature. I see. You're just signaling. That. You're saying, Hey, you do it really well. <laughs> what is it? Uh, when you copy something as the greatest form of flattery. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you do it the best. I'm going to, I'm going to copy what you're doing. Right. That's it. That's, that's it. That's all. I, and you know, we've got these MIT scientists telling you the brain is made like crap and no one would ever do it this way from scratch. Like what nobody asked you, you can't even get close to begin with. Just forget yourself, you know? And, um, you know, <laughs> I actually was thinking of something, one more thing, actually, now that you mentioned this on off thing and the dissipating uh, hurricane, actually there is a musical concept and it is a frequency thing. Technically speaking, it's kind of like a reverse harmony. I don't know. I don't even know what it is. I, I have information on it in a book that I haven't read in 20 years. It's called a wolf tone. I don't know if you've heard of this concept. No. But it plagues certain violin, cello uh, players and viola players. And I guess upright bass players too, where a very, very, very precise spot bowed a certain way will actually produce absolutely no sound whatsoever. Because... The uh, bridge that holds the strings takes the, the vibration, then it puts it on the bot, the top of the body, which is called the plate, and that's the resonating plate there. And there's some kind of, I don't know what to call it actually. Maybe it's something to do with something you were discussing with the water. Mm -hmm. It actually completely dissipates any audible sound whatsoever. Immediately, you get nothing. And um, is that common? I, it, it's a problem that people have often enough where they have these little like wolf tone things you put on your instrument just to maybe just change the vibration enough so it doesn't happen anymore. You put it on the bridge maybe, and, and it just kind of alters the way the plate vibrates when you play on it, mm -hmm. just for that one little tiny spot on the, on the fingerboard. So it's common enough to have, you know, remedies. But a real problematic one is probably not even possible to get rid of. And um, I, re I don't remember enough about it if I'm thinking about it now. That might be a way to, you can just mute the hurricane, so to speak. It literally just dissipated. There could be some some matching, and I doubt it's as simple as finding the you know inversion of the wave. It's got to be something a little more complex than that. It could be this microwave thing again. Dude, you need you're a physicist, and you don't even know it. So I really look into the work of Lieutenant Colonel Tom Bearden. Have you ever heard him of him? 
I, you may have mentioned him in passing because we've been talking a few times, but uh, Lieutenant, um, Tom, what was it, Tom? Tom Bearden. Bearden. Yeah, I think he was a colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Tom Bearden. I think he's since passed. Um, when I was first getting into the over unity world, he was like my mentor in scalar physics, like just a brilliant, brilliant man. And um, he, the reason why I'm bringing, bringing him up is the field of scalar physics and radionics. And then this thing with Keeley, the sympathetic vibratory physics. Right. It's all the same. I'm sure. And I'm sure that is. And that's one thing we actually didn't get to talk about too much, but we did discuss sympathetic vibration. But his is a little more advanced than simply plucking a string and getting other ones to resonate. So the sympathetic vibrations are actually a, a big part of nature, I imagine. So I, I'm, my longest career has been as a masseuse. So when I work on bodies, I'm not, I'm not musically gifted at all, but I can feel vibrations and tones and bodies right. very, very well. And so there's this thing that you should never be in sympathy with a body. Right. Like if you, as, a, as somebody, if you're touching somebody that's like not your, you know, the love of your <laughs> life, right. um, and you go into sympathy with them, there's immediate transference. I see. Whereas if you're, if you have an empathetic touch where you can feel what they're going through, but it doesn't overtake, you're not internalizing it. Right. You know, my main mentor in this, he taught me to put on like surrogate hands, like. Right, right. That makes and sense. So, and so with the surrogate hands, like you can feel and you still have the same level of sensitivity, but that, that there's no transference. There's no internalization of what they're going through. And there's a weird thing, and maybe this will help you from a musical perspective. Transference can occur. Sympathy can occur if you have the will, if your will gets involved. So let's say I have an egoic reaction to something that's going on in somebody and, and my ego goes, oh, I want them to get better. Like I'm having so many different value judgments at that point that I'm not being objective. Sure. I'm not actually just being with, with what is and observing what is. Yeah. You're all tangled up in your own thoughts. Right. I'm like, you know, hero or whatever or maybe their intention you know their projection who knows there's so many of those things that you're just like cl clearing 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 whatever but when when you're in empathy empathy you can feel it and be neutral when you're in sympathy there is no neutrality i see that's the that easiest makes... that's the easiest way i can say it so maybe no. somehow I have, that, I have that problem. I can be very, I've never even been in a fist fight. You know what I mean? I just always kind of align with whatever's happening in the moment and just sort of see things from the other person's perspective so I can be there with them. It's what's kept me being a good teacher, I think, because I can just automatically know exactly what they need mm -hmm. just by kind of sensing it from their own perspective. But I've had Eileen McCusick's tuning forks for about two, maybe even a little longer years now. And I haven't had a ton of work with them, but working on my wife, working on some friends, 
when they tell me what they're looking to do with them, I don't know. It affects everything. And I'm, and I'm in there and I'm not, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not just letting it happen. You know, it's a similar, similar concept as I'm kind of waving through their biofield. It's yeah. the same, same idea, but overall in, in, in the scope of it, but I am not uh, touching them with my own hands. So that must be a whole different thing. Well, there's also a thing with uh, remote viewing that the only way remote viewing is really effective is if there's two. Mm. And this the spotter, the person that's giving the coordinates. Yeah. You have a person that gives the coordinates and then you have a person that travels to the coordinates. So there's neutrality. I did not know that, actually. I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. It's it, Well, from a military-grade perspective, like... From yeah. from from the stuff that they could actually get usable intelligence from, right. they found people could travel solo, but then they would be in sympathy. Uh, and, that makes sense. And yeah. then the the intel the intelligence that they would bring back would wouldn't be as accurate. Mm. So what they found was is that they always would have the one person. They always worked in twos. Right. There were two or more gathered in my name. <laughs> <laughs> they would always work in twos and whoever the the spotter was whoever was actually the coordinate person never shared any pertinent information right they would have the coordinate they would both go into an isolated area the the coordinate person would give the coordinate and the other person would just travel wow and their directions were literally like the second you feel like you're involved Come back. I see. Because that's sympathy. I'm involved. Me, I, me. Now there's a sympathetic resonance that occurs, and then the whole the distortion occurs. Plus, I think. Plus, I think with sympathy, then in those realms, you actually you are seen. Right. When you're neutral, you're not seen, so you're protected. You sort of have yeah. a clo- you have a cloak, but the second you get involved and your willpower and all this other stuff comes in, so I really wonder what that I wonder what that equates to from a musical perspective. Well, it it simply is a sympathetic vibration, you know. The the it's not seen until you pluck the correct note to resonate with it, you know, and then the the sympathetic strings, let's say on a sitar, they resonate with their own full chord. Even if that chord doesn't necessarily perfectly relate to the note that you're playing, um, you're they're technically seen as soon as you play a note that the note is saying me me me, and then the everything just reveals itself immediately. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't do it if it's not the correct note. So you can technically hide in between the cracks of the the notes that you're expecting to hear from that tonal center, mm-hmm. and that can be your way of you know keeping yourself neutral, staying outside of it. Possibly. That's awesome. Yeah, well, with, just... with that, I think we should wrap it up, my friend. Okay, that's not, no, that sounds. <laughs> can you please tell tell everybody where they can find you and what you're working on and all that good stuff? Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm sure you have the best fans in the world, man. I appreciate being on here big time. I'm on, you know, I'm on YouTube, of course, but whatever. That'll just happen. It'll go away when it goes away. I'm just using it as I can for now. Yes. Third, I edit my podcast. I'm on Rockfin now. Also, you can uh, see me there. I I'd love it. If you have Rockfin and you're still using YouTube, just get it. Just do the Rockfin thing. Um, I'm on Patreon too. If if you have an inkling to support me, I would appreciate it very much. But you know, I'm doing it out of pure passion. There's no 
there's no uh <laughs> no need to to worry about me man i i just want to share the message of truth as much as i possibly can and um i'm i'm just honored to be surrounded by the people that i am and being taken into the community so well and um it's it's been a, a great time so far you know it really is and uh the exciting thing that i've got coming up is i'm going to be interviewing my wife who is currently training to be a midwife and i think it's going to be a very yeah i know i think it's going to be a very exciting thing and i'm i'm just so happy for her because this is what she was absolutely meant to do in a very uh-huh. like you know storybook kind of way this is what she's always meant to be and um it's going to be it's going to be really something and i i, I wonder how it's going to go because she's She's like almost anxious about it, you know, but I think it's going to be really cool. And I think it's going to make for a really good episode, a very enlightening episode as well. So oh, really- I would love to talk to her. I, I've had the pleasure of being at six home births. Wow. And um, I've worked on tons of women that had just given birth and a bunch of pregnant women. And I, I trained in polarity therapy to work on on women to after birth to get their hips, you know, position cor- correctly again and so i just that whole field just the magic in the we're talking about love and over unity i mean there there, yeah, it, yeah. there it is right there <laughs> oh yeah that's a hundred percent man yeah oh she would she, she's really on she's really in the info now she's really getting to that point where she's becoming getting herself to be feeling confident even though she already she already had it She's been a doula for a while now. Yeah. But now she's really escalating herself. She's really going up to the next level. And it's just, I'm just so, talk about love. You know, I'm just so happy for her, man. And it's, it's cool. So yeah, you guys should talk. I think it'd be really awesome. Wonderful. Well, Mr. Mesa, it's been a, it's been a blast. And uh, this will be posted this upcoming Friday. I'll send okay, you all great. the, all the linkage. And uh, of course, we'll continue our offline conversation as usual. Oh, absolutely. So thank you so much, my friend. Have a happy Valentine's Day. Thank you. You too. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to my my interview with Jorge Mesa of Third Eye Edify. Check out his work on YouTube, the Third Eye Edify podcast. He is such a good dude. <laughs> he, he has a lot of patience with me because I've always sent him questions like, what about this? What about this? What about this? So we have a project, um, hopefully... We have a project that could happen in Europe where I'll be building resonant structures. The gentleman that you hear in the bumper music for the podcast, Drew LaPlante, I ended up building him and his partner a, a dome sound studio in Costa Rica. On my on my BioCharisma page on Instagram, you can check that out. I have uh, it's in the timeline. I don't know exactly where it is, but. Um, that structure is very unique in the sense that it, being a double convex structure, it isolates sound in a very specific way. I had gone to a, um, I guess it was the Capitol when I was like 10 or 12 years old, and they showed us the one, the one little area, I forget which building it was in, in Washington, but where you stood on one side of the building and then you could hear exactly what people were saying like 50 feet away. I thought that was so cool because of the, the, the reflection of the sound on, off of the dome. So hopefully if we get, get it, uh, we'll be building resonant structures for people to heal. They'll be measuring bioresonance of, of humans, actually the HRV, the, the heart rate variability of people relative to the bioresonance of plants. 
that are inside these structures. So that'll be kind of cool. I don't know who I'm having this up, upcoming week. I got a, a bunch of people in the queue. I just don't know who, who will be available for a good recording. I'm thinking of doing a pod vlog. <laughs> Back in the day, I had I did like six or seven pod vlogs. I was like, huh, I, 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 like, I like listening to my content and I think I could do like a nice little review for people. Um, I might just do that with my own content and make that a live stream so we can interact a little bit. I get uh, great, great folks on the chat. If you listen to this, however you consume this media, we have a uh, channel on Telegram. It's the BioCharisma podcast chat, so please join us there. Um, we're incurring some costs. <laughs> I had no idea with what things cost. I just kind of start things and then figure it out as I go. So if you feel like donating to the podcast, that'd be awesome. Um, I need to get some more equipment, especially if I'm going to be doing some video live streaming. What I have is woefully inadequate for those types of things. And uh, But I, I'm striving to make a very good, coherent uh, product for you. So every show builds on the previous show, and we kind of get to a worldview that is effective. You know, <laughs> good decisions make for a good life. So I want to distribute information to you in a coherent way that is a life affirming um, practice for you. So thank you once again for joining the BioCharisma podcast. Uh, you can check us out on all different types of pod players if you need video content. I believe we're on BitChute. We're starting to upload everything to Odyssey and I believe Gab. Uh, my producer has terrible internet, so his upload speeds are horrific. So we're figuring all that out as we go. Thank you for your patience and look forward to seeing you. Hey, man, we made it to number 10 very quickly. So we're going to keep on going and uh, have a lot of great content coming coming towards you. If you like the music of the bumper, check out Drew LaPlante on SoundCloud. He's a good friend of mine, and he makes great music. He's, uh, he's, he's so much better than his views. <laughs> uh, we we got to blow him up because he's, he's awesome. So thank you for your time, and we'll see you next week. I can't tell